Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad from Guidehouse Insights. Well, that's the best ever so far. All right. <laughs> 162 <laughs> episodes in, we finally got it right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right, so let's talk about what we're driving, and I'll just go from the the top of our rundown here. Sam, you had the 2020 Chevrolet Silverado diesel. Um, that's their small diesel, right? Yes, this is the the new diesel that they announced when they when they initially uh, announced the Silverado at the 2018 Detroit Auto Show. Um, they one of the things that they announced at the time was that it would be coming with uh, a diesel uh, finally for the first time in uh, light duty trucks. They've obviously had diesels in their, their heavy duty versions for a long time. Um, and in fact, there was a plan back a decade ago to put uh, a diesel engine in the light duty uh, Silverado and uh, GMC Sierra. Uh, it was a 4.5 liter V8 diesel that was, I, I had seen it, you know, I, I'd seen prototypes of it. Um, you know, it was really neatly packaged to fit within the same package envelope as a standard gasoline small block V8, although it shared no componentry with that engine. And they were so far along in the process that, you know, they had a plant all tooled up, ready to build these things. And then in early 2009, as they were heading into bankruptcy, you know, and the market was collapsing, they canceled the program. And I was told uh, a couple of years later, you know, by somebody at GM that, you know, they had actually mothballed all the equipment. It was sitting in a warehouse. And, you know, if they felt that the market would come back, you know, they could potentially revive it. They never did. Um, but uh, it would be, you know, it, it took, you know, another almost 10 years before they finally got around to bringing a diesel to the, to the um, light duty pickup trucks. And this time around they did, uh, they did a six cylinder like Ford and, and FCA have done in their light duty trucks, but they didn't do a V6. They did an inline six. And, you know, I talked to Dan Nicholson at the time, you know, a couple of years ago said, you know, why, why'd you guys pick an inline instead of a, a V6? And he said, well, 
you know, we had, we had the packaging space available in the big pickup trucks. There was plenty of room for an inline six. And we felt, you know, the inline six would, you know, provide a lot more refinement. It would be much smoother operating than a V6. And, oh man, was he right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this, this is the smoothest running, one of the smoothest running engines I've ever driven of, of any kind, but wow. certainly the smoothest V6 or smooth, smoothest diesel engine I've ever uh, driven. You know, there was, it felt like no vibration at all, very quiet, um, you know, very slick, really quite powerful. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really impressive engine and, you know, it's uh, they, you know, obviously only going in the, the full size pickups, but also now into the new full size SUVs. So they're putting it in the, in the Tahoe and suburban and the uh, Yukon and the, uh, the new Escalade as well. And, you know, when it, when it finally arrived, uh, let me get back to the right tab here. You know, the, uh, the EPA ratings on this thing, are um, 23 miles per gallon city, 25 combined, 29 highway for the four-wheel drive. The, wow. the, the rear-wheel drive, if you get the rear-wheel drive, it's actually, I think, 30 or 31 highway. Uh, you know, so this, this is an incredibly you know, impressive engine. If, if you need a full-size pickup truck and you want to do towing, and, and you're going to be towing a lot, you know, not if you're if you're just towing, you know, two or three times a year, it's probably not worth the investment in in a diesel engine because it's you know it's a fairly pricey option package. Um, right, and, that was what I was going to say. What do you what are you spending to get uh, that engine? So it's Is it ten thousand. Um, no, it's it's uh, twenty five hundred bucks. Oh, that's actually cheap for the engine. That's yeah. It? Yeah, does it, um, does it make that up in fuel economy pretty quickly? Well, yeah. if you're if you're towing, yes, you will. Yeah, you know, because you know, compared to towing with a V8 engine, uh, you're going to be you know when you know with a with a gas engine, your fuel economy when you're towing is going to drop off a lot more dramatically. Right. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do any towing with this one, but uh, I have towed with other diesel trucks and you know I've and and hauled heavy payloads and. I've seen the, the difference in fuel economy. There's a lot less degradation in fuel economy when you're towing uh, with, uh, with a diesel than with a gas engine because um, they, they, they work best under load. Uh, so, you know, the, the total price of this particular truck, this was a, an LTZ crew cab, four-wheel drive. You know, the base, the base MSRP was, you know, $48,700, which is, again, not inexpensive, but it's right in the – the ballpark of you know average transaction prices on on uh, new vehicles or new trucks these days, uh, and then this one had the the premium package with leather and uh, all kinds of other uh, goodies in there, uh, which was sixty seven hundred dollars. The uh, is that so? That's I guess um, part of my question is some of that stuff required together with the diesel. So the diesel itself is cheap, but it also makes you buy you know the different transmission or something you know so that the total cost rises like if i, I guess we go to the build tool and, and add it and see if it requires other additions but um yeah and anyway, uh, carry, carry I, 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 I would i would answer that question i think that on some of the lower trim levels i think it's it is a higher priced uh package i think it's like four thousand dollars on some of the lower trim options uh yeah. or trim levels uh and i would answer the question more specifically except my keyboard is 
giving me fits again. No, that's um, all right. <laughs> but uh, we'll yeah, leave that we, up to you, dear listener. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, all in, you know, this one um, came to sixty-one thousand seven hundred twenty dollars, including fifteen hundred dollar delivery charge. That's actually surprisingly not that terrible. I mean, it's a lot for a fifteen hundred um, pickup, but. I had a Ram 1500 that was like 70. So yeah, you know, it's as I said, you know, average transaction prices on these full size trucks now, you know, are in the fifty thousand dollar ballpark. So this is a little bit above average. Um, but can, you know, this one was that? also pretty well loaded up. You know that that premium package I mentioned for sixty seven hundred dollars. You know that includes things like you know leather interior, power sliding rear window uh, with a defogger, power up down tailgate. Uh, heated heated second row seats, um, the uh, latest generation of their infotainment system. And funny thing is, you know, it says it's an eight-inch uh, touchscreen in there, but in this massive truck, an eight-inch screen just feels so tiny. You know, when I got in, I looked at that screen compared to the the 10-inch screen that was in the CT5 I had the week before. You know, that eight-inch screen feels so small in this massive truck. There's phones that I feel like are eight-inch screens. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're getting there. I mean, there's, there's definitely phones in the six-and-a-half to almost seven-inch. Yeah, I, I think the new Samsung Note 20 uh, Ultra is like 6.8 inches now or something like that. Don't encourage them. Don't encourage them. Uh, yeah. It was uh, great to see. Here's, here's our take. It was great to see a small screen. Thank you for having restraint so that we don't have a giant unresponsive LCD to stab our finger at. In the, yeah. Or yeah. there are phones that size. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you know, and then this one um, uh, also had, uh, you know, things like the spray and bed liner. Uh, that was part of the Z71 off-road package. So that's another thing to add another 1600 bucks on here. I think the thing that I actually appreciated the most besides the engine was the technology package, uh, which, you know, $2,100, you know, that includes the, the surround vision um, uh, system, HD surround vision system with uh, trailer camera. <laughs> yeah, um, that's like surprisingly necessary on these, yeah. all of these trucks because you can't maneuver them because you can't see. <laughs> exactly. And, and also, you know, this one had the, uh, the rear camera mirror that we talked about last time on this, that was on the CT five, which on, on these big trucks, you know, cause they ride up so high that rear camera mirror actually is a really, another really important feature to have because you can actually see what's behind you. You know, you have much better, much better visibility to what's, what's around you uh, with that than you do with a standard optical mirror. Yes. Uh, so I had that, the first time I, I had that camera was on the, the launch of the GMC Sierra. And I absolutely loved that camera. It's, it's really cool. I mean, some people, some people's had issues getting adjusted to it and getting used to it. But once mine was on, I just kept mine on the whole time. And it, it's probably weird if you can't see people in the back seat because you're not seeing the inside of your car anymore. You're actually just going, you're seeing the exterior on right onto the road. Exactly. And, but it's, it's, I, I mean, I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. And, and it's so easy to switch back and forth too, which is the other thing. Yeah, that you I just flip, flip the tab like you normally would, you know, t for, you know, when you're dimming. Like day night. You remember yeah. when we had to do day night? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, although in this case, you know, it goes between the camera view and uh, the optical view. Right. And it's, it's just, it's such a, I think it's just such a great feature. So Sam, do you think that GMC will eventually get a diesel? Oh yeah. You can get, you can get it in the Sierra. 
Oh, you can get it in both. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, so they're, they're putting it in I didn't know in, if they were all, differentiating. No, they're putting it in all, in all the light-duty, uh, full-size pickups and SUVs. Okay, because I was thinking of the tailgate, which they're only keeping in the GMC, the pro the multi-pro Swiss Multi-pro, Army Multi-pro, yes, yeah. that, that thing. Um, <laughs> that they are not putting into anything except GMC right now. Yeah, no, the, um, the, the, the diesel is available across the board. Okay, cool. So, so that is a good thing. Yes. And like I say, if, if you're going to be towing on a regular basis, you know, I highly recommend it. Uh, you know, so, you know, I mean, they expect, you know, I, I haven't talked recently to the, the Chevrolet folks about it, but, you know, talking to the Ford and, you know, FCA people in the past, you know, they expect that the main market for the diesel engine, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be a small percentage, you know, single digit percentage of sales. But when you're talking about vehicles that sell, you know, half a million plus a year, I mean, you're still talking 30 to 50,000 vehicles a year. Um, so uh, they, you know, they expect that the, the primary customers for this are people that are towing horse trailers or, you know, people that are using it for commercial purposes, you know, uh, like landscapers, you know, that are towing a trailer full of, uh, you know, with their big lawn tractors and lawnmowers and, and all their other equipment, you know, towing those on a, on a daily basis. Because for those people, you know, that operating cost advantage, you know, that you get from the diesel in that application it, you know, so, so overwhelms, you know, the, the upfront cost premium that it, it makes a lot more economic sense for them to use a diesel in that case. So I think that, um, you know, if, if you, if your use case, you know, is the right use case for a diesel, this is definitely one to consider. And, you know, I said this, this is the most refined diesel I've ever driven, both in terms of noise, but, you know, vibration, you know, that inline six is so smooth running. Uh, it's got plenty of performance uh, and, you know, it's, it's quite fuel efficient. You know, in my week of driving, I averaged about 24 miles per gallon, which was mostly city driving. Um, and it was, it was good. Yeah. So I, I guess, um, especially this year, uh, towing is has become a lot more on the, the forefront of everybody's imagination. RV sales are through the roof. Nobody yeah. has any inventory because, you know, the, the current uh, situation, I'm gesturing around, nobody can see me. But, <laughs> uh, you know, everything means like if you have to go to another state and, you, you know, if you want to go actually try to have a vacation or something, you've got to do a lot of times you've got to quarantine. So you, you you tow your accommodations with you, you can actually go and have a vacation while you quarantine, especially because who can afford to spend two weeks in a place um, before you sort of turn around. And, and so towing is actually a lot more sort of on everybody's mind, I think, this year than it has been in the past. And you start to look at the, the tow ratings of the 1500s and they're good, but um, you you also start to compare some of those RVs and they get heavy. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to calculate like, okay, well, what's the dry weight? What's it going to weigh when I put all my stuff in it and in the truck? And if I fill up the, you know, have the propane tanks, the the you know, freshwater tank and stuff all topped off and everything, it, it, it gets to be heavy pretty quickly. And you can get yourself a nice, you know, if you've got a family, you want to get something that's like 25 to 30 something feet. That's a that's not small. <laughs> and so you want to be able to confidently tow that and, and all of the half ton pickups will do it. Uh, it's nice to have that, that edge with um, the power and the sort of confidence that you're going to have the power and torque and, and fuel economy with the diesel. And this one doesn't sound all that expensive. So there's other light duty diesels, but they, 
I mean, I'm sure they're all price competitive. You can get in the, into the comparison, but I'm actually surprised that, that this isn't terrible because 61 isn't completely bonkers for a, a truck like that. I mean, it's bonkers, but it's not it's, it's not the the most nutty I've seen. So yeah, um, yeah. What is it? Uh, do you know off the top of your head or, or have in front of you the sort of uh, max towing and, and max payload? Uh, I, I know there's, uh, and there's a lot yeah. of options. Like it, it usually, you yeah, have it to play the depend, game. It with- depends a lot on uh, the specific configuration. I mean, right. it kind of depends, you know, if you get short bed, long bed, four wheel drive, two wheel right. drive, which acts, um, which rear end uh, ratio or final drive. Um, yeah. Ratio. yeah um, so. so I don't, it's, uh, gotta I mean, be, it's, it's lots. <laughs> yeah. It's got, well, it's gotta be over 10,000. My assumption is be it's like 12 or 13,000, if not more uh, pounds of trailering. Um, cause I know the gas engine ones will get up there. Uh, like with the, the V8, if you were to get, um, let's see a, so a Silverado Trailing. 1500 with the right axle, you could probably do 10 or 11,000 pounds, maybe, maybe more now. They're all, they're all duking it out. So they, yeah. That's so some silly number. So, uh, see a crew cab, um, four wheel drive with the, the short bed, the five, five point five foot, eight inch bed, uh, will tow 9,300 pounds, uh, with the long, <laughs> the long bed, it's, uh, 9,200 pounds, uh, two wheel drive that drops to about 7,500 pounds. Oh, really? It does less with two wheel drive with the diesel. Uh, hmm. yeah. And, and that's, that's actually, it's the same, same thing is true with the, uh, the gas engines as well. Um, they tow less with two wheel drive typically than they do with four wheel drive. Weird. That used to be different. It used to be you'd get the two-wheel drive with the biggest engine, <laughs> and 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 it would have the highest tow rating. You know, like the two-wheel drive with the biggest engine, smallest cab, and it yeah. would have the highest tow rating. Well, the uh, the payloads the payloads go up, you know, with two-wheel drive versus four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. But they uh, uh, so the the max payload. Uh, let's see. Uh, they don't actually the max the payloads are not broken out by by engine just by the configuration so you get about two max payloads about 2100 pounds for a two-wheel drive short bed um yeah four-wheel drive 2170 so yeah about about 2100 pounds of payload so about a ton of payload and about yeah. uh, about 9000 you know uh, 90 9300 pounds of uh, tow rating for the diesel bunch of corn-fed americans in there with their stuff in the bed and their airstream on the back yeah i mean if you if you actually need the maximum tow rating um the 6.2 liter gas v8 is the top one in the in the gm lineup that's twelve thousand pounds that but, surprises me but you're going to use a lot more fuel to yeah. tow that and even if you're towing nine thousand pounds with the the, the gas v8 it's going to use a lot more fuel than that diesel is well, that's why it has a higher tow rating, right? It gets yeah. lighter as it goes really quickly because it's sucking the tank dry. Yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's, it's it's interesting that you said it's um, like the, one of the smoothest inline sixes you've you've experienced. Like diesels typically have that the little little bit of clatter, and like any diesel, no matter what the the layout of the engine is, you can sort of typically count on them to be a little bit more noisy and a little bit more vibration than a gas engine but that's not not so here they've tamed that yeah i mean well i mean there's you know no shortage of uh 
noise dampening materials under the hood and, you know, around this engine. So that helps, you know, so you don't, it doesn't really sound much like a diesel. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it's got a little, it's got that diesel growl to it, but it doesn't have a whole lot of clatter. So it's, yeah, yeah it's quite quiet, uh, which is a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very pleasant truck to drive. That's and, one of the things I love about the GM trucks is that they're quiet. Yeah. And the last Silverado I drove was uh, a trail boss. It was a 5.3 liter V8 trail boss. Yep. And you know, that one, I think I averaged about 14 miles per gallon with it. <laughs> I was very unimpressed. That's and, a good truck though. I, oh, I, it, I, it is, you know, but you know, the trail boss is designed for, you know, that one's set up more for off-road and the, the whole suspension was a little softer, more compliant. And the thing kind of moved around a lot more. It didn't feel as buttoned down or controlled as this one did. This one was a lot better to drive on the road. You know, I, I suspect, you know, that I would appreciate the, the suspension tuning of the trail boss, you know, if I was actually out on a trail somewhere, but you know, most people don't drive full-size trucks out there. Um, so I, you know, I personally wouldn't recommend that, that configuration uh, unless that's what you want. But uh, this one, you know, I think was, was much better buttoned down and also the interior feel, felt better than in that trail boss, you know, obviously with the premium package, you know, that $6,700 premium package, it was more leather and soft touch materials across the dashboard and the door and everything. So it didn't feel quite as cheap as the interior and that trail boss did. So uh, I think this one is definitely a more pleasant place to spend time, you know, especially, you know, when you're up above $50,000, you know, I, I, this one, it was not, not quite up to the standards of a Ram, but it was, you know, approaching that. All right. So you're going to buy one with your own money when you need a truck? No, you're just going to borrow one. My, 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 my philosophy as a truck is a great thing <laughs> right. to be able to borrow. I mean, right. I, I, I personally don't have a use case that would justify owning a pickup truck of, you know, either small or large, uh, you know, full, on a full-time basis. It, it makes no sense for me. So I, you know, I, I have no reason to buy one. But if I did... You know, if I did need one, I would certainly give this one some consideration. I um, I run into those situations. Where I, I'm going to buy a truck out of frustration because it's just one of those things where, like, <laughs> that's an excellent just, reason to purchase a vehicle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just you know, it's the same reason why people like just like uh, they'll buy a car, decide they don't like it after like a couple of weeks, and then like return it and buy another one. It's, you just cost yourself money. Oh my gosh! Uh, but it's funny. I always run into these situations where I needed where I, a truck would be handy, and I'm just like like I, I do it to myself, and I just like swear at myself. Like, <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, so yeah, what did you have, Rebecca? So it's funny. I had I had the two ext- what I feel is sort of the two extremes of of the Toyota Lexus brand uh, because I had, I had the Toyota CHR, which starts at about $21,000. I love that thing. And then the, and then back to back, I had the Lexus, the 2021 Lexus LC 500 convertible, which starts at like (laughs) (laughs) $92,000. So I, I, I spanned the, the gamut of Toyota Lexus offerings in the U S and, you know, they were both appealing and, and, Oh, I'm sorry. Did we just hear Alexa speaking? A little bit. (laughs) That's okay. Probably. 
so yes, yeah, that's very true. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was it was really interesting to have these vehicles, and as I said, they were back to back, so they picked up the Toyota HR. Uh, CHR and they dropped off the LC 500. So I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Toyota CHR, which is a small, uh, it, it's sort of a, a mock crossover um, because it's really, a oh, right. It's, it's a glorified car, but it's actually the very first review that appeared on my Rebecca Drive site. Oh, Rebecca, so go find it, Rebecca Drive. So, yeah. <laughs> Type into Google so C I, slash HR site colon Rebecca Drives.com and it'll come up. So I called it a, um, I called it a mock crossover in that review. Um, and, and I think that that's a really good description of it. I remember talking soon after it had come out back in 2018. I remember being in Manhattan of all places. Um, I had to do something for ABC News and we were actually doing it at a Toyota dealership. And I was early for once. And so I was talking to the dealer and he actually said that people love it. It's great for an urban environment. However, in New York, uh, in particular, it only comes in front wheel drive. Let me rephrase that. In, in North America, comes, it only comes in all- Yes, that's, that's what I was gonna say. Let me rephrase that because I it's it was not clear. The vehicle's only available in front wheel drive. That was particularly problematic, he said, for when people would come in and want to look at it because it's such a great size, but everyone wants all wheel drive, especially in places like New York where it snows, obviously. Right. So I think and the answer, the answer, like, well, you don't actually need it is not going to fly when you're trying to actually sell cars. No, like. it's not. And you know, and, and that's the thing is that people are, are, they expect it. We've trained them to want all-wheel drive, even though front-wheel drive has been more than sufficient in many cases, and certainly in a place like New York in some ways, of all places, where you don't really need a car at all. But that's right. a whole other discussion. That's but true. So, <laughs> so, you know, and of course, snow tires are an option, but snow tires are, you know, $800 to $1,000. And when yep. you're looking at a price point in, in the 20s, you're not likely to spring for, uh, you know, $1,000 of um of equipment that you feel like your car should come with. So this one, it has a four, a 2.0 liter four cylinder engine. It was definitely whiny that CVT, it's only got 144 horsepower. So, and you feel it sometimes. I mean, there's, there's carbs with less, less obviously, but you know, the acceleration was okay in most instances. It's just when you're going like up hills, when you really need it, it's not always there. And it's a shame because it looks like such a fun little vehicle. I mean, it's, you know, it's such a, it's, it's definitely eye-catching. I, people want to know what it is because they don't see it very often. And, you know, there's a lot of good things about it. I love the size of it. There's good flexibility with it. You know, the back seats go down. So there's, there's some, you know, healthy amount of cargo room. The rear doors have this weird handle, which. <laughs> I love that handle. It took me like five minutes to find it. I was like, where is so, it? <laughs> so I had, I had some groceries in the back. I was at my sister's house and she's like, oh, I'll run out and, and grab the rest of them. And I had to go out and I'm like, are you okay? Because where's the handle? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was like, it took me a little while. But so once yeah, you, so once you find it, like, especially if you have something in your hand, it actually, it's, it's a. Because you, it's up on the pillar and you pull it out towards you. It, it's actually like handier than the normal like flappy. So I didn't think so. It's so funny. <laughs> no? I said the exact opposite because I feel like 
if you've got something in, if, if you're, it depends on what you're carrying, right? Uh, yeah. So if you've got something, you know, substantial in your hands that you're supporting with both hands, that, that kind of like waist level door that a lot of handles are, or, you know, sort of, you've got your, your hand, your arm at 45 degree angle, you can pull out that a typical door handle. Yeah. This one, you actually have to reach up. You have to you know, elevate your shoulder, your arm through your shoulder and then pull out. So it yeah. can be very, it can That's be true. quite awkward. And when you've got your arms full of that false graph vintage uh, pattern, uh, exactly. you don't want to drop it. You don't want to pick it up to get the hand. I got it. Do you guys remember it. the- You are uh, good, man. <laughs> do you guys remember the Chevy Beretta? Yes. And and the, uh, the, the little, last the little flappies. Uh, yeah, it had the, the flappies inside. Um, they were yeah. like hidden. Well, right? on on the on the B pillar, they had you know that similar the, kind of flappy yeah. door handle. You know, you grab it and you know pull it towards you. And I'm yeah. sure with the W body, that was like a cable that would stretch and stop working after a while. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Nice. Those cars it, were such. Uh, uh, yes. Um, every time somebody gets fancy with the door handles, it, uh, people suffer. Um, yeah. But this, the CHR, so. I, I I agree. I, I was really charmed by it when I had it, but mostly because um, it it uh, its chassis tuning is pretty good. Yeah, and it it was actually surprisingly fun to drive. It is definitely down on power, and the the lack of all wheel drive was something that I flagged too. But you know the, the the thing that's like the most annoying about it is they make a turbo version. They make a hybrid. They make an all-wheel drive version. They just don't bring them here. <laughs> right? Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, and, and I agree, Dan. I was completely charmed by it. I liked it a lot better the second time, I have to say. Uh, it was just, I don't, I don't, and I don't really know why. I just remember thinking, you know what, I, this was, this was a lot more fun. And maybe it was just, I was in a better mindset or something. I don't you know. You were in a good but, mood that day. <laughs> I, was, I was in a better place in my life, although I'm not. But so, <laughs> none so of us I, you know, the, <laughs> You know, some of the fit and finish. And maybe the bar has been lowered so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, oh, the sun is that out today. Is I guess I'm alive. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least here in Michigan, the sun, the sky was blue yesterday, not right. red. It's it not was red. a spectacular day yesterday. Yes. And we are definitely thinking of all our uh, friends and colleagues out, out Sorry, west. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Rebecca. No, no, no you're okay. Because okay. it's true. I will, And the ironic part is that this car was very much like an orangey, fiery red that would probably <laughs> blend right in up there these days. Did it have the two-tone? The two-tone roof? The, the white roof? I no, love that they do that. No, it had a black roof. I love that two-tone. Yeah, they have, uh, and they have like the color choices too. They can get like the teal with the white roof. And yes, the, the yes. The so it's, it the two-tone is, is really, really awesome. This one had a black. I love the white. The, yeah. the white roof is super fun. So, you know, the, the interior is definitely heavy on the hard plastics and the, yeah. and the piano black. It's all black, uh, which we've talked about before, can... You know, really, it, it it actually, I feel like it shows a lot of flaws, which is the opposite of what black does on a body. But in in here, it does show quite a, a few flaws. Uh, it had uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, and the Android Auto worked really, really well for me. It doesn't come with any other system, which is fine. Uh, it, you know, it had a, a good place for my phone. So ergonomically, it worked out well. Um, the steering wheel is pretty busy, but... Um, but they're well placed, unlike things that you know we've, as we've talked about before. So overall, I think that you know it just it's a good little vehicle. Now 
I will say that at the end of the day, I had, so I had the limited, which is the top of the line and delivered. It was 28,435. Uh. <laughs> yeah. This, this class of vehicle, there are so many choices that I, I struggle to not recommend other vehicles like the Mazda CX-30, you know, which is, I think, in the, a little, probably not as well. That's what I was just going to ask you, if you, how you would compare this against the CX-30. I mean, I would probably have to go for the CX-30 instead, frankly. I think that, you know, it has all-wheel drive available. A lot uh, more power. A lot more power. You know, uh, the interior of that CX-30 is really lovely. So, yes, I mean, I think that this is one of the challenges that they've got with the, uh, you know, with the CHR in that it's, there's, there's just a tremendous amount of competition. Now, some people are true, you know, Toyota files and they're never going to buy anything else. And, you know, maybe this, I will say that this suits many different lifestyles, many different life stages. It's easy to get in and out of. It does have cargo room when you need it, but it's not, you're not driving, you don't, I don't feel like I'm driving around a lot of, of extra baggage when I don't have the car full. So, you know, again, there's always that kind of balance between how much room do you need? How much room, uh, you know, do you want to carry on a daily basis and figuring that out? So, I think that, you know, it was, it's, the the bottom line to me is just that there's so much competition out there that it's hard to really, to say this is the best car in that class, because I don't think it is, but it certainly is one of the more stylish ones. I will say that. So from a styling standpoint, this is a head turner and, and in a really fun way. I, not like in a, what the hell are you driving kind of way, but like, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a fun, happy car. So it has a lot of personality. So if that's what you're going for. I think that this is, is really fun. The other one, I haven't driven the Nissan rogue sport yet. I, and I, then, I had that one a couple of months ago. Okay. So, you know, there's, I mean, the, there's just, there's a lot of choices out there, but this one's definitely worth a test drive. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we've talked about this, you know, previously when talking about some of these small crossovers, uh, what, you know, what we've seen in the market over the last year and a half or so is kind of this splitting of that small segment, you know, that kind of B segment, B to C segment crossover um, with, you know, slightly more premium ones. And then, cheaper ones, you know, or more affordable ones. <clears throat> and, you know, so, you know, on the more affordable side, you know, in, in some cases, you know, some brands have, you know, multiple choices, you know, in that same size class, you know, like, like Hyundai and Nissan, you know, Hyundai has the Venue and the Kona, which are both, you know, similar sized vehicles, but have very different characters to them. Uh, you know, similarly, Nissan's got the, the, um, rogue sport and the kicks you know and the the rogue sport and the kona you know are priced you know a little bit higher like basically where the chr is priced um or the cx30 but you know they offer you a little more they have you know a little bit nicer interiors you know they're a little uh you know a little bit i think a little bit better quality feeling um 
Whereas, you know, then you get the, the lower, the more affordable ones that are similar price, you know, but for a lower price point, you're, you're giving up some of that stuff. You're getting the hard plastics. Uh, but I think that that's a reasonable trade-off, you know, to get something that's, you know, a new vehicle with a warranty that's more affordable. And I think that the problem for Toyota is the CHR needs to be priced against the kicks and the, the, um, the venue rather than the Rogue Sport and the Kona. And, and the CX-30. Yeah, no, I think that's super valid. I mean, I, I'm just pulling up the CX-30 and, and, you know, it's the one that I drove on the launch was 28,200. So it's actually, it's actually less. And that had all wheel drive with it. I mean, I just, and it, and that, that interior that we've it's, talked about a lot. It's from so Mazda, much better. And it's got 40 more horsepower to mm-hmm. it. And that makes a huge difference. As you said earlier, Sam, that power, you know, 186 horsepower, 2.5 liter, four cylinder on that Mazda CX-30, you are going to notice that. Now, the exterior wise, the CX-30 is much more understated. It's, it's a great looking vehicle. It's very handsome, but it doesn't have that, that character. So if that's more your jam, then you gravitate towards the CHR for something a little funkier, a little bit more fun. But for a, if you're talking about just vehicle to vehicle and spec to spec, I think the CX-30 is a much better deal. And you know what's interesting, Sam, is that those vehicles that you talked about, things like the Hyundai Venue, those have come out after the CHR. And, yeah. you know, and that price point was probably completely valid. It was actually, it was, they, it, it's actually increased because when I wrote my review on the 2018, it maxed out at 26,000 and now it maxes out at 28,000. So I, you know, there's definitely uh, some significant price increase, 10%, um, probably with the addition of some of the safety features as well. Cause this one did have, you know, things that you wanted like um, lane departure warning and, and blind spot and such. Yeah, it does. So, it does. That's one of the things that Toyota does. Everything has TSSP. Right. But you're, you know, it's, but so does everybody else now. Yeah. Yeah. It's included, but you're paying for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Of course. They they say it's it's rolled in. So the thing that like, and I walked away, um, I guess it was a couple of years ago now when I had the CHR, it was one of those things like, yeah, it's charming, but it's hard to make a case for it against, um, the field. And then now the field has expanded even more, you know, the, the Kona and the venue are going to feel more refined. Um, you're right. It does feel cheap inside. And it, it, it has drawbacks, you know, visibility to the rear isn't good because of the, the yes. styling, you know, yeah, you don't, especially, especially the rear three quarters. You yeah. Know, you have Those, to depend upon that rear view camera. Right. That's and to, absolutely. And, you, and if you're sitting in the rear seat, did you try sitting um, in the rear seat? It comes up to your earlobe. It's like sitting in a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. It's a, yeah, it's, no, it's a it bad is. experience for rear seat passengers. Yeah. But I mean, it's roomy enough. Also, but, yeah, yeah it, it is. It's it's got some room. I was impressed with the cargo capability, but then you compare it to the other things and you are you do lose out for the styling. You know, it it, it actually like outside, it kind of takes up a lot of space. It's compact, but like compact in name only. <laughs> yeah. And then because of the the like deeply sculpted body sides, you you uh don't have as much interior room as you might think. And so compare those specs a little bit but you know it's it's a friendly offering in the class and it's it's sort of like classic toyota right like they 
they are in a segment and they're like, well, we're not the best, but you know, we have a really good reputation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the the thing is this vehicle wasn't supposed to be a Toyota, at least in North America. That's true. It was supposed to be a Scion, right? right? Yeah. And then they, they, you know, just before they launched this, they killed Scion and then they rebadged it as a Toyota. I like it. It's just, you know, you gotta, gotta make sure you're not paying retail. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, and I should point out also, I got, 31 miles per gallon, which is uh, higher than the rated. They are 29 as for combined. It has a really small fuel tank. It's only 13 gallons. So I did actually end up having to put gas in it because I did, I did drive it quite a bit. Uh, but still 31 miles per gallon is pretty good. Again, though, you know, you look at that's, that's an expectation. It's not a bonus. It's not something that somebody's going to pay for. That mm-hmm. fuel economy is what people expect nowadays so right with more power with more power exactly yes so speaking of more power yes (laughs) (laughs) let's get to the fun part (laughs) so the 2021 lexus lc500 convertible uh, i'm really glad that you sacrificed for for us you know it's amazing what we'll do for our work um (laughs) yeah this thing was Hot to don't go. get paid for it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And this is reward. Hobby? <laughs> I don't know what 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 do we do? Um, this thing was hot to go. She's ready, as Lyle Lovett would say. Um, nice. <laughs> it, it it's uh, it was, you know, it was darn near a privilege, really. So you know, the LC five hundred is uh, heavily praised, and as well, it should be gorgeous V eight engine. 5.0 liter. I mean, this exhaust note is is right up there with Aston Martin's exhaust notes. It, it this thing rumbles to life. But what I love is that you don't. It it doesn't intrude into the cabin. It's there in a very positive way. But you're not, you know, you don't feel like you're riding on top of an engine. Uh, it's it's really really graceful, really refined, um, just you know. All just all sorts of fun, and then when you top it off with a convertible, that's a whole nother level of engagement. Um, so, the first thing when I when I got into the car, and it is very low slung, it is exciting to get in sometimes. Um, but when I first got in, I was like, "Okay, how do I put the top down?" That's my first. It's the first thing you want to do, right? So, if they've actually put, and I'll I'll send you pictures of this. It's actually very clever. They have this little pod that is um i don't know what's the size maybe a four inch by four inch little area where they have the top the top down button and the windows button a a, 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 um duplicate windows button so that you can put the windows up or down all four at the same time which is really really clever so you're not kind of well you can't it was actually the only way that i found to put the back button back windows down but it was still a nice feature, a thoughtful feature to have both buttons there very conveniently located underneath this pod once I found it. <laughs> so yeah. um, the, the, it goes up and down in 16, I think it was 15 to 16 seconds. So it's really quick. There's a lot of machinations that go on. And, and I apologize, I did not, I meant to videotape it um, going up and down and I forgot to do that. So... We'll have to find that online somewhere. I'll, there's plenty out I'll, there. I'll, I'll do it when I get one uh, later in October. Okay. Yeah, there's there's plenty out there. But uh, 
you know, and, and so once it's down, all the windows are down, you've got just a flat opening. But you know, Sam, like as we've talked about before on your Miata, where you're kind of sitting up and out <laughs> of the car almost, you are definitely, I mean, your shoulders are like down in, you are in this little cockpit, uh, which is a great feeling. It's a lot of fun. One of the things I loved was that the, the so the roof, the um, windscreen is very, very rakish. You know, it's really sloped, but I felt so cool in that like, I don't know what era way where I could put my little hand would fit on the corner and I could rest my elbow on the, on the door sill and mm -hmm. just kind of hang there. Like I was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was like just at that proper angle for that kind of look and feel. I just wish I had diamonds on my hand or something, <laughs> but it's, you know, well, you know part, you're close to New York. You could probably go get some. I right? could, like, I could probably, <laughs> <laughs> but there's that whole, you know, working, not paid for it thing. And, um, so, so the, I mean, the car itself certainly draws attention. I mean, the number of people that stopped, this thing it was, it, they call it sunburst. My neighbor called it faded school bus. Um, other people, <laughs> other people, you know, it's banana yellow. I mean, it's, it's a stunning, stunning yellow. And it's funny, actually, the hardtop that I had, that I spoke about a few months ago, uh, was ex exactly the same color. And then just the roof is, is a, it's a black roof. So, you know, overall, it was just a fantastic thing. One of the, one of the key differences that they've added from a technology standpoint is um, from the hard top to the soft top is that they have added Android auto compatibility. Oddly, they don't, it, but they don't have access to Waze, I guess, because it was only Google maps. I don't know. I thought that was really strange, but that, it's for me, it should be there. Um, yeah, I could only get Google Maps to work. So that, that's what the default was, I should say. Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, it was a, you know, a welcome addition, obviously, because I'm an Android person. And so the last time I had it, I, the, uh, when I had the Coupe, it was only Apple CarPlay. So that was a positive. Um, the, the navigation itself, I remember pulling it up. I needed to go someplace that I thought I knew where I was going, and I just wanted to confirm. And the navigation <laughs> had so many lines on it, I didn't know which one to look at. So that was really weird for me. <laughs> so yeah, well, I, Toyota Nav is just not generally not good. I, I you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, you're right. There's, it's not. <laughs> We've talked about it ad nauseum. The other thing that I was a little disappointed about, and this is very first world, um, but other cars have had it, is the automatic. Uh, it senses heat and uh, heat and cool. So other cars have had it where if the, if the exterior temperature is a certain degree, it'll put cooled seats on or heated seats on. This doesn't have that. And so you end up getting mired in that change, you know, in changing from hot to cool. And I love having the heated seats. I love having the ventilated seats, but, and I know this is very first world, but you know, having to go in. So, you know, if I, if I went someplace during the day and had my cooled seats on at night, stop top still down, I wanted to have the heated seats on and I would have to go in and manually change that for $105,000. I think it would be nice if they had the option at least of having some kind of that auto sort of censoring um, that kind of um, forward thinking technology would be really cool. But um, 
you know, otherwise, I mean, it had a, it obviously had a little tiny back seat, but there's plenty of, there, there was a good amount of cargo room. I mean, I made the mistake of going to Bed Bath & Beyond and picking up a couple things and coming out and being like, oh, whoops, they took the CHR how this is morning. This, right, how is this mattress going to fit in the car? <laughs> it was actually, it was rug pads of all things. So yeah. I had gotten this giant nine by 12 rug and I forgot to order a pad with it. So I had to go and they actually had a couple there, uh, very neatly folded up, but I have pictures. <laughs> does, the, then, does, does the seat back, I'm assuming it doesn't because the, the convertible no, is, no, it the doesn't go down. Fold down. Yeah. No. So, so, um, and, the, and what I liked also is that there was still plenty of room, even with the top down. So in a lot of old style convertibles, the, the convertible top would actually use the, um, would use the trunk space, you know, for the storage. This is not the case. So there's still plenty of trunk space. It does have a baffle in the back so that you can, you can insert that to improve um, conversation in the front, but then that negates any, anybody sitting in the back. So well, I think the seats themselves negate anybody actually <laughs> sitting back there. I'm looking at a picture of this thing right now. And I think, you know, anybody that has more than a torso, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, um, unless you're an amputee from the waist down, you are not going to fit in the back seat of this thing. Well, Come on, Toyota, works. Lexus, why? It's, it's for it's, dogs. That's where the designer dog sits when you drive. Well, I'll, so I've got some funny pictures of, uh, because the other thing is my, my eight-year-old coffee maker um, finally died, and so I had to pick up a coffee maker. So I've got oh, all sorts of. Were, like, I was like, I thought you were fondly referring to a human, like a little eight-year-old that makes you coffee, and then, like finally died. I'm like, oh, well, this is a, no, wow, these, a dark story. These queens and our coffee makers. I bought one for my house here, and I bought one for my yeah. house in Saudi. And so I actually had two of them at one point, um, but the the one from Saudi got damaged in the return. Um, it, the it actually melted. Excellent. <laughs> nice, nice hot cup of Which coffee. Which is kind of exciting. <laughs> so, so I have the picture. I'll send you, Sam. It has the. It has the rug, the, the large rug pad in the back, the coffee makers in the front, the other rug pads in the trunk, um, and then there's a little gift for Lucy, my kitty cat. <laughs> awesome. That's what, I mean, that's what we do, right? We find the utility in the cars. I've, I have gotten um, const- like lumber in the <laughs> widest array of vehicles imaginable. Um, I think the best was I put like enough of enough lumber for a, uh, a an outdoor swing set into like the first generation Mazda 6. <laughs> That's was, amazing. Yeah, there was a lot of wood in the car. It was not happy. <laughs> I love it. But no, I mean, look, the the LC500, it's, you know, much has been written about it. It's won a ton of awards. It's, it's gorgeous. You know, the thing that really struck me, and I, I actually, I got to have dinner with um, the fabulous Tabitha Hammer, who works for Haggerty. And she is, uh, she moved into town fairly recently. And, and we were talking a little bit about this. She, she actually would be a fun guest sometime. We should have her on. But Come on down. Um, this, the, to me, the LC500, shows what Toyota and Lexus, I should say, can do from an emotional standpoint, from from a styling standpoint, from an experience. It really, it's, you know, that, that, that the exhaust note alone do that in more 
sedans, do that, you know, do that in the performance, like just the performance aspect of it was really fantastic. And, and I will be the first one to say that far too many of my reviews of Lexus involve, you know, something along the lines of stayed <laughs> because they're just not very engaging a lot of times, but I just, you know, this, and this vehicle just really shows what that brand can do. Yeah, I, I think that the the issue for them is is that what people buy from them is I know they can do it, but and we want it, but is that what actually sells? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I saw one review that said, you know, this is the the best Lexus that nobody's buying, and you know, you're absolutely right. But that's part of the that's part of being a good steward of the brand, as we've talked about before, brand steward stewardship is incredibly important as as the market migrates away from baby boomer domination. Baby boomers have dominated the market for decades. Well, they and, still have all the money though. So No, but you know, they don't with Gen X and and millennials are starting to move into their their mid 40s and later. Uh, and, tell me about it. <clears throat> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean there's we're starting to get to the point where we have to recognize you know, we've got to be designing and producing for a millennial who's not living in, her, in his or her mother's basement, but instead is moving into peak earning years. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that Lexus is a brand that they have a huge challenge because they were so baby boomer focused that most millennial children, when they think of Lexus, they think of their parents' cars. And that's a problem. And I shouldn't say millennials' children, but you know, they're, they're the children of the baby boomers so yeah yeah but, but no, no, that's true i mean so the oldest millennials are just now that i think they're like in their late 30s right now i'm i'm at the tail end of generation x so i'm in my early mid so yeah i mean the way that and, i so gen like, x is 65 to 77 right and the millennials are birth year 78 right and, yeah. so i'm right at that crossover and i will tell you that um the lc great that's a total boomer car um, if it, because millennials and, and Gen X is like, we're still, we've got families. Absolutely. And so I would love to tuck that into the garage. It might be a good time, but it's not going to work for the lifestyle. So if they can do that in like a version of the Sienna for Alexis, right. <laughs> awesome. It's that's going to like but, more fans. But even, you know, the, I had the, um, I had the Lexus RX 350 F Sport. Yeah, and that's the that, RX is not good. <laughs> uh, well, but the thing, but my, but my point is that even that, like, give it personality, give yeah. it, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed that one more than just the the RX four hundred, which doesn't have any personality. So, <laughs> that's you know, I mean, true. right? That's the thing is that you know, give these vehicles that kind of emotional. I, a, a emotional experience as a kid hauler. So yeah. I just, you know, I feel like that's something that there's, there's opportunity there to be more engaging, to take some of the features, take some of, of the fun in that we've experienced with the LC and move that into vehicles like the rx where you can obviously you're not going to do something stupid but you know but do something that has that kind of fun you know lexus doesn't really have say like 
a GLC, uh, a Mercedes GLC 43 AMG coupe competitor. They don't really, they haven't really gone into that coupe space from an SUV standpoint at all. And don't, don't worry, it, it's, I'm sure it's probably coming. <laughs> you know, so I just, I think that there's opportunity there. And I think that the, the LC500 to me is just a vehicle that demonstrates what Lexus can still do. Yeah, I, I wonder if, if some of this, maybe some of this kind of thinking is why Toyota invested in Mazda. You know, they, they own 20% of Mazda now. Yeah. And, you know, Mazda, you know, I think, you know, maybe we're, we're Scion struggled you know i think mazda has a little more of that they've got more of that design flair um you know that emotion to that brand you know and maybe you know they com- compare you know most of their vehicles are more competitive with toyota brand vehicles but have more of that uh that emotion to them right and you know maybe a little bit more of a premium feel to them and, and maybe they see mazda as being that complement um that you know, gives them an inroad with those kinds of vehicles, you know, and as customers maybe want to move into those kinds of vehicles, you know, they've got, they can, you know, they, they can support Mazda to, to bring that to the table. Right. Maybe. I mean, I, I hope so because I think that, you know, Lexus and, and, and Toyota to some extent also, I think, you know, they've, they are a little bit stagnant at times. Lexus certainly uh, and and need to have some kind of a of a an emotional boost. They are yeah definitely cautious. I, I think that's yes. their their sort of mo um, is to be you know polished but cautious. And when you're trying to appeal to emotions, like a little bit of that caution goes out the window. And I think that's why I like the CHR is because it's less cautious. No, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. So. So what were you uh, driving? Dan? Yeah. So I, um, speaking of total boomer cars, <laughs> I had the uh, the 2020 Lincoln Aviator. I think it was the black label uh, PHEV. I didn't the grab Grand the, Touring. the sticker. It was okay. So it was the Grand Touring. Um, so this is a uh, really well done premium crossover. They've done a really good job with the Aviator and the Explorer that underpins it. Uh, I think, you know, Ford was saying part of their move to rear wheel drive was to give it a premium feel. And it, it sure does. Uh, it, it's interesting because I, I really liked the black label Nautilus, but you could definitely tell that that was um, based on a, a front wheel drive, you know, Ford edge uh, platform. They did as much as they could. They gave, you know, in that instance, gave it a good interior, pretty decent suspension tuning but it still had some of that clumsiness that the 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 edge just has uh that is not the case for the aviator uh it's especially in phev it's very powerful it's got like 600 pound feet of torque or something it's it's the most powerful production lincoln ever yeah it it, it's weird because it's pretty understated about it it's not like always raring to go you can it's just there when you need it otherwise you don't ever really even think about it and it's it has a uh Twin turbo V6. I think it's got the three liter yep. version of the EcoBoost. Uh, so it's it's quiet and refined in Not a way. Not an EcoBoost that was, in a Lincoln anymore. Um, I'm sorry. Whatever they. <laughs> That's a Ford only brand now. Uh, sure. Uh, can we call it Twin Force? <laughs> Let's call it Twin Force. Um, but uh, you know that engine is. It's an interesting contrast. Like we were talking about the Cadillac XT6 last week, mm-hmm. and 
this is sort of a similar analog, right? But it's, it takes a, a slightly different path. Uh, it feels a lot more special than the X-T6 uh, in its interior outfitting. The refinement of the powertrain feels better. The X-T6 isn't bad, but some of the other Cadillacs have that issue where they've got the four-cylinder, and so you've got the, the vibration and the grittiness. The, the grittiness was there with the X-T6 a little bit and just sort of the, the vibes you feel. Um, this is, is not like that. It's also a much newer hardware, so I expect Cadillac is going to jump ahead when they do their next thing as well. But, you know, it's it's really nice. And it should be because it's just like $86,000. But I was thinking about it, too. You know, Lincoln has we we've bagged on Lincoln for like 10 years now. <laughs> but they finally with this version of the Aviator, they've gotten to a point where they're pricing competitive with stuff like the the X5 uh, PHEV. Or, you know, whatever Mercedes version, they changed their name. So I don't know what the heck I'm talking about with the model names over there yet. Would, Is uh, it the GL, GLE? Well, GLE? it's bigger than a GLE. It's like in between a GLE and a GLS. Right. A little smaller than the GLS. Yeah. Because um, the GLE isn't a three row. So Right. So and But that's the thing. It's like it. it's not only priced that way and feature competitive. It's overall like refinement wise and uh design and style and execution it's there like it didn't seem absurd to me that it's an eighty six thousand dollar lincoln like it, it felt worth it which was that's different <laughs> you know like, that's huge i yeah. mean just the fact that you've you've just said the words it felt worth it <laughs> yeah it, it feels <laughs> really amazing. special right. it's um it's it's lovely inside and out. You know, the design is, it's not as uh, sort of striking on the outside or, or as, as, you know, it, it's very, it's conservative. It looks great, but it's, it's more conservative. It's not looking to break ground. It's looking to look good. And it does, you know, um, interior wise, it's right there. You know, it's, it's got really good materials and uh, really nice design. The controls are decently easy to figure out. It's sophisticated. So you do spend like your first, couple of hours fiddling with everything um and one of the things that just kept on getting me was it has electrically operated uh door handles so it's like you don't there's no door handle to pull when you want to get out it's a thumb switch <laughs> and every time i was like looking like what do i pull you know it, <laughs> it's like that was that felt a little bit like a gimmick but i think also it cleans up the the interior too like you don't have to package a, a pull door handle you can leave space for something else i don't know that's um, sort of like the what what i experienced with the volvo where the push button start yeah that with the turn the turn knob on the con on the center console it wasn't yes. anything i ever got used to <laughs> right and it's not like it's not any more convenient like i'm trying to make a justification for it like maybe it makes room for something extra but not, not really and you know that the explorer has pull handles right. so it's not like they didn't engineer it uh it's, i don't know it it does it makes it different but it's it's a little bit of a gimmick and uh, whatever like uh i will say much, though so i had i just had to interrupt you i'm sorry no that's fine so i have a, a new dishwasher not because i wanted it but because my dishwasher <laughs> broke it's that kind of season apparently and i got one of those fisher Pacol, exactly yeah. i got one of those fisher pacal uh pull out drawer dishwashers yeah so there's a two and for I, I when I was showing it, when I was playing with it, inevitably I would pull down because that's the motion that you make to open your dishwasher. 
right? Yeah. You know, like you pull, and this, you pull out, you pull straight out. Yep. And I was so proud of myself because yesterday I realized after about three weeks of ownership, I am now just pulling it out. I'm no longer pulling down. Yeah, see, so I, I have, mean, it's right. So you it's can about actually what you get used to. to you, it. <laughs> I think if you owned this, you would get trained eventually. Um, yes. You know, it had the had the buttons for the shifter, which also screwed me up for a while. I don't really like those. Uh, the yeah, transmission is a little slow those. to respond, but it's not. It's not. It's not the worst implementation of push button shifting. It's just. I again, like, I get why they did it here. They definitely saved space by by tucking the the buttons at the base of the center stack. There's a lot more room on the console for other controls. So I, I get that one. I just, it's a little underwhelming, but you know, when you're looking to change decades of, of practice, you're going to have some hits and some misses. Um, I, I do. I just, they seriously invested their efforts to make the aviator special. And I think they hit a bullseye, you know, that the, even the materials and the, um, the controls that you touch, they, everything feels Good. So I was impressed with that. And it's very quiet out on the road. Um, it's it's not super duper efficient. You know, the, the hybrid is there more for, for power and, and performance than it is necessarily for fuel economy. You can plug it in and you have different modes. It has five different drive modes, which I, I liked. You know, the, you know technology-wise, it's easy to use. It's easier to use than something like iDrive. Um, it may not have as deep a feature set as iDrive, but it it definitely has a lot of things it can do. Um, there's an app that you can put on your phone that that opens up some more features too. Uh, the app and- is actually really cool because you can lock, unlock, start, and drive it, and you can start the aviator. So the app is actually really pretty useful in terms of nice. um, replacing the traditional key. Yeah, you can. Uh, it works uh, through Bluetooth LE to make your phone, once you pair your phone, uh, once you pair the My Lincoln app with on your phone with the car, then your phone becomes the key. And so, you know, if your phone is in your pocket, you don't even have to take it out. You, know, you walk up and, and unlock it uh, with the phone, even if you don't have the fob on you. Uh, and then similarly, you can start the car with that as well. Yeah, it's, you know, for all that we gave them crap, they were they were working hard. <laughs> um, well, the, the interior though is stunning. Oh, I love all the Lincoln interior. interiors are stunning to me. I, I I was a little annoyed though um, when I had to go get some. I had to get a four by eight sheet of plywood, <laughs> <laughs> and I used a tape measure, and I was like, "Well, it should fit diagonally. It's just one sheet." Nope. They, it's like they designed the opening specifically to not accept the four by eight sheet of plywood, and then like on the you can get it in just a little bit, and then there's there's some interior trim that gets in the way, and it's just like, ah. so I'm there at like the hardware store with this sheet of four by eight material, and I'm like, I need to leave this here. I had to go borrow my brother in law's ancient uh, E350 van that smells like one big greasy car part, <laughs> and uh, put it in there, which I mean it worked out. Um, and it was an all Ford show, so there's that. But I got to thinking, like, what you would really compare this to. And the, the best thing I could come up with was, you know, this is a really sharp competitor for an XC90. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the style. Uh, not, It's not quite as avant-garde as, as the Volvo. The Volvo really does, you know, it did still to this day. It's, it's an older bit of styling now, but it still looks fantastic. You know, the Aviator looks good, but it's not as distinctive. Um, the interior in the aviator is just as good and the way it drives is a lot better. 
And this one has air suspension and it's very smooth on the road. It, uh, it, it soaks up a lot of the high frequency stuff. So it just it goes down the road with, with a lot of, uh, a lot of comfort and authority. So I was impressed with it overall. And, and it's, uh, you know, they were really smart to skip the, you know, having the aviator when it was, when everything was based on, on the older Explorer and just bring it back for this new generation. They did a lot of work. And I know there was a little issue about the, the launch with quality and stuff. This, they didn't have any quality issues. It all looked and felt those, those, really good. Those seem to have been ironed out by the beginning of this year. I think they, they pretty much got that sorted out by the, you know, by the end of 2019. Yeah, so I was I was very impressed with it, and it goes back to our question um, from from last week or the week before, where we were talking, would you buy the 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 XT6 or I forget, and maybe it was the XT90 that we were comparing it with. Um, I, I I would have a hard time comparing or not choosing the Aviator over the XT6. Um, so it's direct competitor from across town. Uh, and they're different cars, but um, this one just does. It feels like it's worth the money more than that one. So. And I feel like also Black Label does offer some nice services. I think that they've migrated. They've they've changed some different things, but you know they've done a nice job of of offering you know Lincoln service valet pickup and delivery. They've got some nice lifestyle features that can really come in handy too. So I think that they're, when you're comparing these vehicles, you have to also compare, especially if you're doing the black label, you have to compare uh, the, the, what else comes with, the vehicle beyond just the vehicle itself. Yeah, well, that's that's the like the ownership experience, and that's what keeps right. people coming back to Lexus is because you know they 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 care less about the cars than how they're treated, and I think that's that's pretty universal. I would go back to a, a good dealer for a brand I'm less enthused about than you know to get the perfect car and have to suffer with the the world's worst dealer. And it just ruins <laughs> it. Um, you know, and I guess the sort of like the, the main criticisms are those, those multi-way seats. We got along with them a little better this time, but there's still like just one part of it that digs into the back of my rib cage. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> no matter how I said it, I couldn't, just couldn't quite get comfortable. Um, and the audio system does not sound good at all. And I'm very picky about that. So maybe other people will be pleased with it, but I just thought it was like, that's not something I will pay for. Uh, it's uh, the highest end audio system sounded bad. So uh, you're doing okay when, when somebody picky can really only pick those two things out. So <laughs> good job. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, I, I, unfortunately for you, I think that 28 speaker revel system comes standard in the grand touring. So, I mean, that's okay. Um, as long as I don't see a line item for it. So they just hide the, hide the cost somewhere. <laughs> If I see a line item for it, I'm gonna I'm gonna redline it. I'm gonna cross it out and be like, I don't want that. Um, well, it's funny that because I I actually forgot to mention in the LC500 convertible that I was really disappointed with the sound system. I know it's supposed to be really fantastic, but I never felt like it was like I I had it like up to up to maximum because I didn't feel like it was like enveloping me. Part yeah. of it was the, there was no roof, but. That kind of stuff, it, it all plays into that experience. It plays into that. You're talking $87,000. Right, yeah. You know, the sound system should be something that you're all about as well. Yeah. So let, let me ask you guys both a question um, related to convertibles. Why, <laughs> why would you buy a convertible and never put the top down? I have no idea. 
I mean, my first, the first new car I ever bought was a Volkswagen Cabriolet and I had matching gloves, hats and mittens in wow. it for people because- it's commitment. I, I was like, at least, at least once a month, this top is coming down, even in the winter time. And if people complained about it, I said, there's your hat, there's your scarf. <laughs> I, I meant business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who does uh, that? No, uh, I, like I, a convertible costs more. It's a commitment. Like you, 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 you buy the convertible because you want the car with the top of the car. Right. Well, it, it, you know, it, it costs more, you know, in most cases it doesn't drive as well. I mean, most, most of the time, most convertibles, you know, are, you know, they've taken a unibody design and hacked the roof off and, you know, they're usually <laughs> not as rigid. You know, they're, most convertibles are not designed from the ground up as convertibles, like, you know, like, like some sports cars are, um, you know, so, and then you're usually <clears throat> giving up rear seat room, giving up some cargo space. You know, you're making a lot of sacrifices to have this folding top. So why would you drive it around with the top up all the time? I mean, I know I, I so frequently see people in convertibles, you know, when beautiful weather, you know, it's even, especially when it's, it's not too hot. I mean, I can understand maybe sometimes if it's, you know, like 95, 100 degrees and, you know, you want to have the air conditioning on, fine, whatever, you know, but... <laughs> Exactly. You, know, you can put why, the air conditioning why, on and still have the sun. I, I yeah. Will say. Why, why, you know, why would, why would you buy a convertible and never put the top down? I know that there's, you know, at least one person in my neighborhood that has uh, like a 2010 Mustang convertible. I have never once ever seen the top down on that car. That's you know, and, I, I, and I see it so often. I, I yell out, what are you waiting for? A nice day? Like it's just, cause especially cause on a gorgeous day. Do you, like, yeah. do you legitimately heckle people? You drive I do. Around, <laughs> drive around Greenwich, like, hey, I do. The top I'm one down. of those people. Yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> so. Uh, while I wouldn't necessarily, I don't, convertibles is not a, not a thing I would choose on my own. Um, but they're, if you want them, they're not pleasant. Like if you're, if your speed gets really above like 50 or 60 miles an hour, um, so that's and, and, not true. Well, like that LC five hundred was very pleasant at a hundred. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but purely hypothetically. Yeah, purely like, hypothetically. So personally, I, they start to get loud and they they aggravate my tinnitus. So that's that's one of the okay, things. Like fair it enough. just like it gets it gets loud on the highway and you. Yes, while you have the airflow, like if the sun's beating down on you that cannot be not great too. So it depends. Like if you're in town a lot, yeah, put the top down on the convertible. But then again, like I personally wouldn't buy a convertible because like, and that's perfectly fair. That's perfectly that's, legitimate. That's, that's my dream. Yeah. But some people enjoy that. Like the yeah. sundown, the wind in your hair, stuff like it. So yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I, I get it. It's definitely, I yeah. like the charms of a convertible in the right, uh, right venue. You know, they definitely, they're enjoyable. So, you know, to, to the listeners, you know, if you own a convertible and you drive it with the top up, please write in, tell us why, you know, yeah. we're, we're, yes. I, I, I personally am extremely curious to know why you would buy a convertible and drive it with the top up. Maybe, the maybe they're those people that buy cars with um, like resale only in mind. Like, well, the convertible is going to have a higher resale price. It's like, you're fine, but you're like, yeah, why would you buy a thing and not to enjoy our podcast. it? Huh? <laughs> I don't think those people are listening to our yeah, podcast. We don't have, we don't have a lot of finance people <laughs> listening to our podcast. No, but I think, I mean, I agree. And, and it was funny because when they, uh, after the LC 500 went away, I realized that I had never actually driven it with the top up. 
which is not a good thing when you're trying to review something. No, because, I mean, I think that's, but, that's, that's better. <laughs> I, I do think that, you know, from a visibility standpoint and all that good stuff, but I, I agree, Sam, I, I don't understand that for all the reasons that we've talked about, but there, so will you ask that guy, the person, the woman male who's driving I, the Mustang in your neighborhood? Uh, I'd prefer not to. In your nicest possible way. <laughs> not like, not you know, to. you dumb, that's the, not, you know. But. <laughs> that's the best Bartleby the Scrivener uh, answer. What are you doing? I, I, I prefer yeah. to ask that question to people that I'll probably never actually meet in person. <laughs> yeah, listen, sometimes Fair the enough. best thing for neighbors is just to mutually ignore each other. Exactly. <laughs> yes. But no, it's like, funny like that guy down the street that had the John James for Senate sign, you know. Yeah. Hey, 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 no politics. So now my, my neighbor has a, a Jeep Wrangler four-door and that thing, it it's always stripped bare and it's so fun. And, you know, the kids are hanging out and stuff and it's great. It's, that's how it's supposed to be. And I totally agree. Convertibles are meant to have the top down. It, it, everything about them. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. Oh, the, and the one, the one last thing about the linking to just completely whipsaw back to the yes. topic. Uh, I thought of you when I um, opened one of the, the places in the, the center console and they've designed a nice little place for your phone with an inductive charging pad. And that's where the USB port is. It's like, it's, it's got a place for stuff. Excellent. I, like, well, that's, that's I love thoughtful. that. So, uh, yeah. All right. Moving on. It's been a pretty busy uh, week of, of stuff. Um there was the GM Nicola partnership that was announced and then they sort of got in trouble. It's yeah. Let's talk about that sure. a little bit. You, yeah. Um, and, and then we also have to touch on the lucid air cause that yeah. was a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, the, the Nicola thing, like, I don't know what's going on there. Like they, they came out with the announcement and then like the next day there was this, this thing by Hindenburg research or whatever that was saying it's all fraud and GM didn't do due diligence. And I, what, what is going on? <laughs> So for those that aren't familiar with Nikola Motors, this is a, a startup company that came out in 2017, I think, uh, initially. They, they announced a hydrogen fuel cell long-haul semi. You know, and this was before um, Tesla showed off their semi. Uh, and you know, part of their deal was you know, they, were, they wanted to build these fuel cell-powered uh, long-haul trucks uh, and also build uh, a hydrogen fueling network to support them. And, you know, so they're, they, they're working on both of these paths and they, you know, they, over the years, you know, they've developed a number of key partnerships with uh, various suppliers and, and investors, uh, including, you know, uh, Bosch was a, was a very important partner for them, you know, working on the fuel cell technology, working on the, the electric uh, drive system, um, and then you know also working with other partners on the on the hydrogen fueling side, and you know they the, this summer Nikola went public through one of these now very popular um, reverse mergers with what's known as a SPAC, a specialty purpose special purpose acquisition company. So these are companies that are set up. You know, a bunch of investors put a bunch of money in. Um, they go public. They do an, you know, they do an IPO, and the company has no actual business. They just have a bunch of cash in the bank uh, from their investors, and they're set up specifically to do an acquisition. Uh, and we've seen a bunch of these this summer. Nikola, um, Validine did one. Luminar. Uh, there's been a, a number of others, uh, and. A, won't get into the, all the details of why, but when they when Nikola went public with uh, through this uh, transaction, 
their stock price immediately spiked, you know, and their, their market cap went to like $18 billion. This is a company that had $36,000 in revenue last year. I think Thir- we all together probably had more than $36,000 in revenue. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, why aren't we worth $18 billion? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Well, let's, yeah. let's put and, together a SPAC. Yeah. yeah. And well, no, I mean, we don't, we're, we wouldn't create the SPAC. We need a SPAC to buy us. You know? oh, oh, okay. So anyway, um, you know, and of course, you know, this got a lot of attention from a lot of people, you know, taking a look at this company. You know, is this company for real? Uh, you know, what, why is this company that has, you know, effectively no revenue still a couple of years away from their first product? Why are they suddenly worth more than, you know, automakers that, you know, have hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue and make profits and all this stuff? Uh, so, you know, got a lot of people looking at them. And, you know, the founder of Nikola, a guy named Trevor Milton, uh, who was CEO after the, 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 the transaction, he became chairman. Uh, they hired another guy to be CEO. Uh, they, I think they, um, you know, they, a lot of people see this guy as, you know, kind of a, a, a huckster, you know, kind of another Elon Musk. Uh, and, you know, not coincidentally, you know, the, 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 the naming of the company was very much in, you know, for the same reason that Tesla is called Tesla, Nikola, te, you know, Nikola Tesla, that's Nikola, right. Tesla's first name was Nikola, hence right. the name. Um, I think we should, like our spec should be called Westinghouse because Westinghouse is the one who actually funded Tesla <laughs> to <laughs> develop AC power. So they, anyway. No, sorry, he fought with Tesla. What? No, Edison fought with Tesla. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yes, you're right. Anyway, um, so <laughs> on Tuesday of this week, uh, GM announced that they were uh, part- doing a strategic partnership with Nikola, um, where t- GM would get 11% of the, the stock uh, in, in uh, Nikola, and they would provide the fuel cells for the Nikola One semi through their, their joint venture, their fuel cell joint venture with Honda that they're, that they're building. Uh, and they would also do uh, the engineering and manufacturing of the Nikola Badger, which is the, the electric pickup truck that Nikola announced earlier this year. Um, you know, and when they announced it, you know, they said, you know, we're looking for a partner to work with to build this for us, you know, because basically Nikola didn't want to um, go into actually, you know, does, you know, to tool up to build this consumer pickup truck, you know, they, uh, they wanted to focus on the on the the semis, and so GM is going to build the Badger based on the same platform as the, the GMC Hummer that's coming next year, using their Altium battery system and all this other stuff. And you know, then two days later, this Hindenburg Research comes out with this big report, you know, basically trying to take down Nikola. Uh, and you know, as it turns out, the day before they published the report, they bought a whole bunch of you know short options in Nikola. You know, and Nikola's stock price tanked after the report, you know, and accusing Nikola of all kinds of, of shady things, you know, like, for example, when they did their initial reveal in 2017, that, you know, they showed a video of the truck in motion, um, implying that this was actually a functioning prototype. Um, and it turns out that perhaps it wasn't. Um, it, <clears throat> according, you know, according to their research, they talked to somebody who worked for Nickel at the time, and they actually had this thing on a very, on a road, uh, long desert road with a very shallow grade and basically got it rolling 
down down this road and it was rolling you know not under its own power just gravity um <laughs> and it's you know, kind to, of awesome and all well, i can think of is that non that shatterproof shattering glass on the tesla yeah. cyber yeah. truck well you know to, <laughs> I, I mean to, doesn't everybody pull crap like that yeah and this is this is what i said in a couple of interviews over the last couple of days you know to to be fair you know almost every concept you see from every manufacturer ever is not completely functional or in most cases not functional at all. You know, and the example I like to give was the original Chevy Volt concept uh, in, in January, 2007. You remember how much attention that thing got and they published videos showing it driving around a neighborhood. Well, like a lot of concepts, that car, that one actually could move under its own power sort of, but it was powered by a golf cart motor. Yeah, it did not have it did not have this fancy extended range EV powertrain that they were that they showed all these cool renderings of and had a mock up of, you know, it was it was basically a golf cart underneath this fancy concept body, and this is actually very common, you know, and, and I mean nobody on the PR side of the industry likes to talk about this stuff, but it is it is real. This is the way it's done. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's how you attract investment too. I'm not. I don't think it's worth getting all that exercised about. Like, uh, there's other parts of the deal that, if you know, yes, so fine. Look at the concept vehicle and and get excited, but also look at the rest of the business. And if you're going to invest, I'm hoping that you look at all of those other things and make your decision versus just, well, the truck looks cool. Let's just throw money at them, which to be fair, seems like what has happened in that industry yeah. with a lot of players. Oh yeah, absolutely. Although you know, also to be fair, GM has not actually put any cash into this deal. They're getting right, 11% right, right. equity in the company, but they're not putting up any cash. They're, they are putting in engineering resources, you know, but a lot of that, you know, is already being done anyway for the Hummer and Chevy trucks. Um, you know, so there's not going to, you know, they're not developing a new platform for, uh, for Nikola, you know, most of the, most of the hard engineering work and tooling the factory and everything is already being done anyway for, for GM. This is basically all upside. They get, you know, potentially, you know, if this all works out, they get to have better capacity utilization of their factory, you know, more utilization of their batteries and, and motors and everything. You know, it's it's all good for GM, and you know, didn't really cost them anything. Uh, doesn't it seem like this is all stuff that GM doesn't doesn't really need Nikola for, other than the buzz? Like, this is all it, stuff that GM's good at. Yeah. Yeah, but I think to Sam's point too about the capacity utilization. I mean, there. I think that there are things that GM benefits from with this tie-in. So, yeah, I, I agree. But it also, you know, GM is good at these things, but they don't have a reputation of being good at these things. And that's, you know, part of it too, is when you, you know, they're teaming up with a brand like Nikola that, you know, has, is that exciting, charismatic startup kind of feel to it with all its pros and cons. So, I think that there's there's positives from a business case standpoint for General Motors, but there's also positives from a a, a goodwill standpoint as well. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that was the thing that struck me was like all of the, especially the fact that they're not not putting in cash, they're they're putting in expertise really, and right. 
it's that's a way for, they have to pay for already. Right. It's a way for them to get a return on, on stuff they've already invested in. Right. You know? And, and it's almost like it's a PR campaign to a degree. Like we, we are partnering with this, this new shiny object over here. Um, but we're bringing our, our vast experience. And Nicola even was, was messaging about this. Like, look, we've, we've, now plugged into a hundred plus years of, of vendor relationships and logistics and supply chain management and, you know, car building expertise, which if you look at Tesla beyond the hubris, that was the area that, that bit Tesla was actually car building. Um, a, a lot of the, the EV part of Tesla is fantastic and their engineers are very clever uh, and they're, they're doing a lot to push that part of the, the field ahead. But, where, where else would you find automotive engineers going to Home Depot and buying bits of plastic molding <laughs> to help tie down their AC condensers? Yeah. I mean, it's it's very much like the story. It's like it just reminds me of like a modern day scene at a Tucker or something. But like, just the the um, the thing that GM is really good at is making like things with with consistent quality. Uh, nowadays, consistently good quality, uh, and and doing it for a. A very carefully planned cost, and they they do they 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 have a big machine, and they know how to how to run it. And so, if, if you're getting people interested in in the truck, and you know they can use their their engineering and their battery cells, and their you know even the, it's the same platform as that that Hummer. I mean, I think it all makes a, a lot of sense, and they they get a way to uh, sort of put their expertise to use, and and hopefully get people interested in it. It's, it's an interesting move, and and I don't know. Uh, if it's going to, nah, nobody knows if it's going to pay off, but um, it's probably cheaper than trying to, you know, uh, put the message out just bluntly, like straight ahead, right? Like, we're GM, no, we're here. We're good at this stuff, really. <laughs> like, well, yeah, know, if they, you have to self-promote, it never goes as well. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was, that was curious and interesting. And there's already partnerships that sort of, they're, they're, it looks like they're being smart about it, actually. They're saying, we're going to partner over here, we're going to partner over there, and they're, we're going to find ways. Yeah, because they're, they're also, you know, working with Lordstown Motors, you know, who they yeah. basically gave the Lordstown assembly plant to, you know, they, they, you know, Lordstown was another one of these companies that went public through a SPAC transaction. Um, and you know, GM was actually an investor in that SPAC. So they own a small stake in Lordstown motors. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm sure there are going to be others that we see as well, where, where GM is an investor, uh, and has the potential to, you know, to leverage something off of these other brands that are, are getting hype and attention, you know, the hype and attention that a traditional automaker is probably, you know, never going to get, you know, because, everybody there's this fetish around startups and and founders um you know especially in the ev business uh that it's going to be hard for any traditional manufacturer to to achieve that yeah uh, it's a good good like that's uh let's see how it plays out i i hope that it actually gets past this little rough patch and anytime there's there's a move especially in such a red hot sort of area of of a market you know that just the, the quote unquote disruption right like that those there's a lot of speculators, and it's the reason why this, the Tesla stock is outrageously high, although it took a hit uh, recently. Um, but it's 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 like a casino; it's people trying to to make money, and so they're gonna they're gonna defend their investments and and try to um, minimize uh, competition. And and so you see that it, it's not it's not a mature market. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, sound and fury over there. A lot of, a lot of heat, not a lot of light. 
I guess is uh, what I'm trying to say um, in the, the EV space. So maybe it'll calm down and, and we'll forget about the whole like nonsense with the Hindenburg thing. I, I'm calling You're it adorable. nonsense. I don't know if it's, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I just like, it came out and I was like, this reads like a hit piece. And you know, yeah. uh, Trevor Milton has his own sort of like Elon Musk light personality. So uh, you need that certain amount of, of hucksterism, I think, in that space. But I, I don't know. I can't imagine that GM didn't carefully look at things. And they, they didn't really take on a ton of risk, right? It's kind of like, well, if yeah. this pays off, it'll be good. If it doesn't, we can walk away. We haven't. Yeah, I mean, wor- worst case, you know, maybe GM maybe looks a little foolish for getting involved with this company, but they haven't really lost anything. Okay. Um, and, you know, frankly, to the people who think that they look foolish for this, they think GM looks foolish anyway. Yeah, so, GM has no stranger looking they don't for care. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's no, no big deal. You know, it's, it's really all upside for GM and, and no real downside in this case. It's sort of yeah. like when Kim Kardashian married that Chris basketball player for 72 days. It's just a really, you know, one looks good and one, you know, just sort of whatever. I'll take exactly your like word for it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Oh, well, let's talk about new product too. The, the Lucid Air finally dropped. And this was one that was sort of on, on the radar. And then like they went quiet for a little while. And now they came out with a car that, that uh, it, A, it seems very expensive when you get the the highest price model. But everybody lost their collective mind um, over the <laughs> reveal of this. You know, the configurator's up. They're doing a lot of things that a a more established automaker would. They have a lot of mature, you know, a lot of, a lot of mature leadership from automakers over there even their 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 pr guy is a guy that we know well he spent years at bmw so it's it's just it's happening <laughs> i guess um so you guys both watched the lucid reveal what was that uh, all about i played with the, the configurator and picked my colors well it was funny because when it when i was looking at the run of show it's it said it was like 45 minutes for this and then 40 minutes i'm like thinking an hour and a half i'm not gonna sit there for an hour and a half and i actually sat through every minute of it because the q a was really interesting also it was really stilted they they um basically only took questions from reservation holders uh, as opposed to the media but i mean the car itself it I'm not, I'm not crazy about the exterior. I don't love the front end, but the interior is stunning. I, I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. And then they had the very end, they teased uh, an SUV that called the gravity, but no, I, I think that this is from a visual standpoint, it's absolutely stunning. And then from a technological standpoint, you know, they, I feel like they've addressed so many of the barriers for electric vehicles from the range, which is I think over 500 and correct me, Sam, I know you know these uh, better than I do, but you know, they've, they've partnered with Electrify America. The recharging is super fast. Like they've just done so they, they really have, I feel like they've taken every barrier to electric vehicle deployment and said, let's fix that. Let's address that question. It's just, and, and the car looks stunning. It does. Yeah. I mean, we, we first, or at least I first saw the air back in late 2016 when I got a briefing from Peter Rawlinson, who at the time was their CTO and he's now CTO and CEO and their head of design, Derek Jenkins. Um, We had a private briefing at the LA auto show in in late 2016. And 
you know, walked through the, the technology side and the, the design and actually went down in the garage and took a look at one of the prototypes that they had brought to LA for that. Uh, and then they, they showed the car publicly for the first time at the 2017 New York show, where I think you, you saw it at the time. Did you get a chance to sit in it? In, in, I did not. I think okay. it was one of those, the New York show was really chaotic for me. Yeah. I think I just, I glanced at it and had to move on to something that was actually coming out. Yeah, I, 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 I sat in it for a while and <laughs> chatting with with Derek. Um, yeah, and you know, it's it's amazing. You know, and it's it's a really fabulous interior. And one of the you know one of the knocks on Tesla has been you know especially for the Model S and the Model X. You know, at the price points that those vehicles go for, you know, upward you know up, often upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. You know, compared to the the competitors from Germany and and, and Japan. Uh, in those price ranges, they don't feel like luxury cars. They don't. Must be fair. The interiors suck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you know, they're just—they're not—they're they're, not good. They're, yes, they—they are—they are not up to the par of what you can buy at that price point from other manufacturers. Um, this car does not suffer from that. This car absolutely feels like it's worth a hundred thousand dollars or more. Uh, you know, no, no doubt about it. It looks like it. It feels like it. Um, you know, and the the launch version, which I think they're calling the Lucid Air Dream Edition. Uh, you know, that one's going to be one hundred and seventy thousand dollars all in, and then <clears throat> over the next few months after they uh, they start building them, you know, they'll they'll start building lower priced models. And by sometime in twenty twenty two, they'll have a version that's supposed to start at eighty thousand dollars. Um, which will have a shorter range. It won't have that 500 mile range. It'll, it'll be somewhat less, uh, but it'll probably still be at least 300 miles of range. You know, and I think that from a, from a tech standpoint, the thing that really impresses me about what they've done here is right from the beginning, Rawlinson's focus has been on optimizing the efficiency, the energy efficiency of every system in this vehicle. Because one of the challenges for EVs, you know, batteries are big, heavy, bulky, um, and expensive. And, you know, if you want more range up until now, you know, the solution has been add more battery. Well, that adds cost, that adds weight, you know, which is negative to efficiency and takes away from, from room. Uh, so, you know, if you can make all of that stuff more efficient, then you can get range with less battery, which, reduces your cost, reduces your weight. You know, it's a virtuous circle. And this is, this is the argument we heard from Hyundai when they launched the Ionic uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, with the electric version, you know, when it first came out, it only had 124 miles of range. And they said, well, we picked, you know, we decided to go with a smaller battery, a 27 kilowatt hour battery. I think it was in the original one. And, you know, because we wanted to maximize the efficiency of this thing. They've subsequently gone to a, a larger uh, larger battery, you know, it gives you more range, but they, they really want to optimize for efficiency. Honda said the same thing when they did the electric version, the battery electric version of the Clarity. You know, we went with a smaller battery for more efficiency. Well, that's fine, but if you don't have enough range, you know, then that's, it's not good enough. Yeah, and, but also though, doesn't the, um, doesn't the Air have one of, it's got, like, at least its top end, right, is the largest battery. Yeah, it's 113 kilowatt hours. But right. if you know, I, I did the the math, <clears throat> you know, if you uh, compare that to the the hot, the top end model uh, Tesla Model S, 
it's 402 mile range, at least EPA rated it. I don't think it actually does that in the real world, but uh, you know, it does that with a 98 kilowatt hour battery. The, the air is a little bit bigger, 113 kilowatt hours. But when you adjust for the you know, miles per kilowatt hour, the air still has a 14% advantage in efficiency. You know, so you know, if just, just based on the, the battery size, that would give you 15% more range um, you know, from the battery. But then they go another 14% beyond that. So they're, they're getting more miles out of every kilowatt hour in that battery. And you know, they're gonna offer versions with a smaller battery. And you know, one of the options will, you know, from the beginning will be, you can, you know, the way the modules are laid out in the, uh, in the battery pack under the floor, you can, if you want extra rear leg room and foot room, you can get a version that they take four of the modules out from the middle of the battery pack where the rear foot, underneath where the rear footwell would be, and then they lower the rear floor. So you have more room back there. And, you know, that version is still going to have well over 400 miles of range, you know, from, you know, with even with a little bit less battery capacity. So, you know, they did all these things, you know, a lot, a lot of cool engineering in there. Uh, and Dan, you mentioned, you know, that they went quiet for a while after, after 2017. And part, you know, a big part of that was because they were looking for money. They were, they needed to raise cash. I thought you needed to make noise to raise money. You have to like, just come out on, on Twitter and like go on Joe Rogan's show and stuff. Well, and just, you know, that's insane I mean, nonsense. P- Peter doesn't even, you know, Peter doesn't even have a Twitter account. You know. Smart man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they ultimately ended up raising a billion dollars last year from the Saudi uh, sovereign wealth fund. Uh, so, you know, the Saudis, the Saudi uh, royal family basically owns the majority stake in That's Lucid. Really now. interesting given Saudi's sort of uh, history with oil, right? Well, it's like, full you know. dependency. So, I'll tell you the, the logic behind that is uh, the reality is that. Saudi's running out of oil. I mean, yeah. at some point in time, they will run out. And they are such high demand domestically that and every barrel of oil that they use domestically is a barrel of oil that they can't sell. So there's actually benefits to them getting more fuel efficient engines out there. And, and Saudi Aramco actually has, uh, a, I think it's seven or eight engine labs spread around the world that are working on engine technology. And so because they realize the need to make oil last longer, and the way that you do that, of course, is through more efficient engines. And so that's one of the reasons, that's one of the motivators behind the investment in things like Lucid and so yeah, so that's that's they had put I mean, money the, into Tesla as well at one point and right. sold that the, off. The but. demand the demand in Saudi is so extreme because they have a very young population. Most of the cars there are truck based SUVs and and so there's no look there's no you know, they were working on fuel economy standards when I was there. That was one of the things that I worked on with them. Uh, so it's it's very counterintuitive until you understand more of the dynamics of what's going on inside the country. So um, you know they've got they've got their plant built now in uh, in Arizona. You know they're doing some pilot production and they will start full production uh, in the spring of 2021. 
Well, and you know, it's funny just the fact that the plant is in Arizona because that hot weather testing that, you know, there's such high demand on a battery in that kind of climate, but it's also very representative of the climate in the Middle East. Uh, so, you know, it's again, it's kind of just, it's counterintuitive to put a, a plant there, but at the same time, electric vehicle plant of all things, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, you know, it'll, you know, they've made a lot of big claims. You know, there's a lot of impressive things that they've talked about over the past several weeks, but you know, now we have to wait until they actually are in production and we can try this, you know, to see if they can actually deliver on these promises. Can they actually deliver a 500 mile range? Can they deliver the kind of efficiency they've talked about? And, you know, can they do it with consistent quality? Yes, that's a huge thing. So Dan, which one did you build? Uh, I built, I mean, I built the, the like the ultimate top level <laughs> one and I, I picked a really nice red um and the silver back part of the roof and uh a, a, a like butterscotch colored interior the, the interiors i mean sam to your last point of uh, build quality because the interiors certainly look absolutely stunning i mean really stunning and and you're right about you know there's people that we know that are working here now and, and that are, are long in, long time industry people. So there's clearly things that they're seeing that they believe in and that they want to be a part of, which is exciting. Yeah. So good luck. Send us cars when you have them, please. Yeah, exactly. We're talking with them, you know, hope to get um, Peter Rawlinson to join us uh, as a guest in the next couple of weeks. I hope. Because I believe that they actually right. are going to have a dealer network which right because they talked about they're following they're following the tesla model and doing um uh, direct showrooms yeah yeah Yeah. okay but you know i think that that even there i think it's really well thought out i think that this i feel like sometimes tesla's a little bit on the fly and this (laughs) is a little bit more you know strategically thought out yeah well you know the ideas are good i think and and to to be fair um that is also part of that that culture is to, to, um, you know, make a move. It's, it's the minimum viable product culture that comes out of, you know, software versus the sort of like, uh, least harmful (laughs) kind of, this is not going to kill people culture, very, very carefully tested and tweezed that comes out of automotive. And, And so, you know, software moves a lot faster than hardware in that sense. And, and, you got to find the the sort of right point and and yeah tesla seems to be a little bit too too tipped to the like uh we're going to make a move and we'll figure it out as we go um versus you know some other automakers that are a lot more cautious so yeah something i neglected to mention through all this you know peter rollinson he was the chief engineer on the model s you know he worked at tesla he was the chief engineer on the s he he was the architect behind that car and you know so a lot of the things learned from developing that have gone into, into this car. Uh, and, you know, they've done some things distinctly different from Tesla. And, and to your point, Dan, I think, you know, it's, it's very much not a Caesar the pants kind of thing. I think it's, it is very, it's much better thought out than, uh, than what, uh, what Elon Musk's approach to business. Yeah. So good luck. Send us cars, come on the show <laughs> yeah. and talk about it. We had some questions. We had we have a bunch of them, so All let's right. start with one that we <clears throat> we skipped on last week because uh, we we're running long. Um, this is from Blake Swan, 
Uh, so on the previous week's uh, show, talking about performance bargains, Harvey Simon asked a question. And I was yelling when listening to your discussion on Hackett retiring. The, uh, the, object, the, objectivity, the objectivity on this podcast seems to be lacking for any GM or Ford product discussed. The fact that Hackett and company decided to do away with its passenger vehicles has, to be pro- has proven to be a costly move. No way I'm getting an EcoSport thing if I can get an affordable Ford if I want to get an affordable Ford. Compounding the problem is the next generation Focus and Fiesta are getting rave reviews overseas. I wish I didn't have to hear that you are all close to Ford management and especially uh, gave them a pass. Is that truly being a journalist in your eyes? So it was actually, uh, Blake's actually got a couple of questions, but let's, let's address that one first. Um, oh, actually, let, let, me, let me get to the, the next one uh, that ties into this. Also, to clarify the last email, all three of you do, do, do such a great uh, job on the other manufacturers that might be cause for the greater frustration. The Infiniti Q50, Q60, Redline was spot on. You captured the, the good and the bad very accurately, and I look forward to the podcast every week, and I thank you for that. So what, you know, how do you guys want to respond to that question of objectivity, especially with regard to GM and Ford? Um. You, Sam, uh, you're based in Michigan, and, and because of your day job and, and your, your work history, you, you personally know a lot of the people at the companies. That's not a terrible thing. I, I wouldn't say that we're close to Ford management. We have a familiarity. The very same as you know, I out here in my, my advertising side of my career, I know people at other agencies. I you know, I, I know people at production companies and, and um, you know, it's an industry. And you know, I know we had the discussion about whether or not we consider ourselves part of the industry, but it's the industry we cover at the very least. So uh, there's, I don't know that it's, uh, we're close and they're our buddies and we gave them a pass. I, I share Blake's frustration that, you know, Ford shut out some cars that I really think are, are you know, viable products in the market. And I would love to have them here focus on the Fiesta. Even the last ones were, were good. And then they just let them sort of wither. Um, they just, they weren't selling and Ford is leveraged up to their molars still. So it's a, it's a low margin business. They've got to make the moves to where they think they can make revenue. And I, I think that, you know, shutting up, uh, or, or, not doing the cars and losing money while they could take the same hardware and make crossovers and, you know, higher transaction prices, more revenue potentially. Uh, that seems like the sort of moves you'd want to make uh, from a, from a sort of like business move perspective. I don't know that's worked out, but <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're Ford's cars. Like they seem to have cranked up trans, uh, the, the, the uh, sticker prices too. So it's like a one, two, but I personally, I'm not, not really all that close to, to Ford. I think the person I'm closest to at Ford is Mike Levine. Cause I keep asking him for trucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Rebecca, where, where are you in it, all of it? So I would say I, I don't, I really don't know. Jim Hackett at all. I've met him a couple of times because uh, right after he started, I moderated an event for Ford out in the San Francisco Bay Area. That was, um, again, right after he started. I I would say I've had some really good constructive conversations with Jim Farley, um, and but I certainly was much closer to people like Mark Fields uh, and even 
Alan Mulally uh, than I am to really spending one-on-one time with Jim Hackett. I have not done that. I have with the other um, with with the other two guys. So, I. But you know, I think that that there is an element to where it's a combination of of you want to be objective, and I think that we are for the most part pretty objective. It's it's always constructive criticism, though. That's the thing that I think you know we don't trash any car for the sake of trashing the car, or because well, we don't like I a do. PR person or something. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. But you know, I think that there's um, there's a there's a balance between you know, between providing a constructive criticism. Blake talked a little bit, uh, he wrote a little bit more about understanding the dynamics of the industry and you can be blacklisted. I was, I wrote uh, an article, my second article for Forbes way back in 2011. It was not a critical article, but the headline implied that it was critical. And that manufacturer blacklisted me for 10 years. So, you know, it was, they canceled all my appointments with them. They canceled, it was just boom, that's it, out. So it can happen. And I'll tell you, it's interesting. It does happen. And it does happen. Having worked on the PR side of this business for a time as well, I know, I, you know, I never did it or wanted it to happen, but I know that it does happen that people do get blacklisted when, when they piss people off, um, you know, we are not actively trying to avoid that or, you know, you know, to actively piss anybody off. But, no, that yeah. never plays into it. But I, I will say like, you, you do have to have balance. And, and when we have been critical, uh, most of the time, it's not something that's news to the automaker anyway. They've heard those criticisms of their product and certainly in internally, I'm sure that those criticisms came up before they even released it. So they have familiarity with the complaint we're, we're often making. And um, as long as you're sort of backing it up, it's, it's fair game. If you just say, well, I don't, I don't like this car cause I don't like that company and I can't substantiate it. And Oh yeah, the PR guy's a jerk and I'm going to have a, a feud with him. <laughs> yeah, you're going to wind up, they're not going to spend, you know, the money to put you in the product and then uh, have you, have you trash it. I realize that almost sounds like they're, they're threatening and it's a pay to play and it's, it's not. Um, It's, it's, it's more PR in some ways than it is uh, journalism. And you have to bear that in mind and actually practice journalism because otherwise, you know, you just, you're, you're, you're a lifestyle blogger, which has its place. I'm not crapping on lifestyle bloggers, but it's different, you know? So uh, we, we try to, to offer that informed criticism and critique uh, while also, you know, understanding fairly what we're, what we're saying. And that's our job. Like if, if I don't like something, I have to step back and say, do I not like it because of me? Do I think that this is wrong because of, you know, uh, decisions they've made that, um, put it sort of in this place amongst this competitive set, you know, so there's, it's, it's, um, it's an active, you know, it's a, it's a job. It's, it's, so I, I, I'm curious though, why there's that, um, that consideration, especially with Ford that where we gave them a pass. Cause I don't, I don't know that we did. I mean, we've talked about their, their products before and, and I, I love the feedback too. So I don't, I want to feel like we're, we're sort of like, uh, carping here. Like 
We're, yeah, we're not we're not being defensive. We're, I think yeah. we're just trying to explain where you know where we're coming from. Yeah, yeah. I um, think that we consistently, you know, going to every product with the mindset of of positive. We want to get into a car and we want to like it because this is a big deal for people. A lot of time and energy and resources have gone into this car. It's funny because when I think about products like the like the Lexus infotainment system where we've all had issues, but I gotta tell you, every time I sit in that car, I want that thing to be better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the last time, you know, I want to like it. I want to have a good experience with it. And that I think is our mindset for the most part. And if we, if we have a better experience, like for instance, the, I, you know, I like the fact that now it has Android auto and it didn't before. And, you know, with a Ford, I think that we've all, you know, had, those experiences where it was okay. It wasn't the best thing that we've ever driven, but it wasn't the worst thing. But when they do things like the Lincoln Aviator, that interior is stunning. And, yeah. it, and we look, we look uh, uninformed to say otherwise because across the board, people acknowledge that that interior is stunning. So, you know, I think that there's, we there's objectivity there, but there's also the objectivity of want. We I think we bias towards we do want to like it. We want to like all the products that are put in front of us because not because of the favoritism, but because we know what's gone into the design of that product. We know that years of engineering and development and time and energy and money and the resources required to come out with a vehicle, the complexity of the vehicle, of the engineering, all those things. It's, you want those people to succeed. I've, I, even Tesla, I've said it before and I will say it again, nobody wins if these brands fail. And so we want them to do well. And so I think that, that our we we do bias towards positive, but I think for the for different reasons than maybe than we than we've necessarily stated before. And you know, to the specific question about giving Ford a pass, you know, on doing away with cars, you know, I, I think you know, I think we have expressed our frustration that you know, the new Focus and Fiesta, you know, we can't get them. Um, you know, but at least for me personally, you know. I also, I understand the business reasons why, and Absolutely. I don't, I don't disagree <clears throat> fundamentally, you know, with why they did it, you know, why they discontinued those products in North America from a business perspective, uh, you know, as somebody that likes cars and likes to drive fun cars, I am disappointed and, and annoyed that we can't get those cars here, you know, I, and, but, you know, I've also, you know, I've expressed my disappointment and annoyance, you know, with the American <laughs> consumer that re mostly refuses to buy those cars. Well, it, you know, you and know, it might be different and that's, too. And that's like why, with, that's why absolutely. they don't sell them. Yeah. It, it might be different with the, uh, in the case of the focus in particular, the only way you're getting a focus here is the escape. And the, <laughs> the escape yeah. is one of those that was like, okay, it's, it is expensive in its competitive set. And, it doesn't blow you away. Like it's expensive and it's good and it has more power than, than a lot of the competition, but eh, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of left me a little cold. So um, it's not, 
it's not that like like sort of like uh, class leading product that you might expect if they're if they're going to narrow their offerings so much and really kill it in a single segment. That's not what happened. So um, I can understand Blake's frustration if he's trying out cars, trying to get that that sort of the focus hardware here, and the only way you can, and uh, it's just not as good as as we'd like it to be. Um, it looks good though. That's that's. True. But also, I mean, I remember I. <laughs> ironically, talking to Jim Farley about this when they decided to uh, to discontinue cars. The reality is that from a marketing standpoint, uh, from a market standpoint, you know, we're at like 80% car uh, truck now. And, yeah. you know, which just a couple years ago was 50-50. And people define when people talk about their car, they are actually often talking about a crossover. So their definition of a car is different. And we've, as a market, we have migrated away from thinking of a car as a sedan or, you know, God forbid, a hatchback. You know, we talked earlier about the influence of baby boomers on the marketplace and hatchbacks were one of one of the body styles that they killed. Gen X loves hatchbacks for their practicality. Baby boomers hate them because it, they that's what they had, you know, crappy Ford Escort hatchbacks hey, with listen, kids. <laughs> we, as us Gen Xers clean up the mess you boomers left us, not exactly. you boomers, but like Give we need a practical hatchbacks. car. Like, yeah. Uh, and it is, it's funny, like uh, crossovers are basically like small wagons. They are. Um, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're elevated they're, wagons. They're elevated yeah. wagons. Exactly. So, um, Go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to say, you know, um, hopefully we address that uh, for you, Blake, and, and please keep... Um, Keep the conversation going, because uh, yeah, I don't I don't want it to come off as we're we're defensive, but hopefully that gives you a little bit more insight into at least where our heads are at. All right, um, so let me uh, next one is also from Mr. Blake Swan. Um, I'm assuming it's Mr. Uh, it is, I don't think I've ever Mr. met. I don't I don't think I've ever met <laughs> yes. uh, a woman named Blake. But at, at any rate. Um, <laughs> When discussing the, the Volvo XC90 powertrains, I was curious on your thoughts if losing the supercharger and adapting the new 48-volt electric turbochargers would make this uh, a more efficient, lighter engine. I believe Borg Warner, BMTS, IHI, and Mitsubishi all make similar designs, with Garrett being a little different. Um, do, you, uh, do you think uh, Volvo would use this going forward, or was that uh, a one-time development cost that they won't look at making again because of the EV hybrid focus? Uh, also, I followed up with some insiders to the industry. Uh, if I was being too harsh for saying that there's a bias with GM and Ford uh, with the previous question, I was told all five. Uh, I was told by all five that I was wrong simply because I do not fully understand how manufacturers ban exclude people. If there's one criticism mentioned about the car you'd got to drive, uh, I was told that you could. Uh, you could lose uh, seven positives and one, you could post seven positives and one negative. The company rep will reach out to, t to tell you it was not appreciated that you're characterized the car and will make life tough for you uh, with the brand going forward. Essentially the manufacturers dictate the rules and everyone plays long unless um, they've been uh, around long enough to in the industry experience. that there's a fan base. that's quite large for them. I apologize for the unfair statement. So, let me let me address that last part first. I have written many negative reviews and I've given ne many negative reviews over the last what four, 14 years I've been doing this. Yeah. Um, and you know I have had PR people follow up to you know to ask you know if you know or to try to understand what the what the issue was uh, in some cases, not always sometimes you know they just let it slide. 
I personally, you know, um, you know, I guess I must be a much nicer guy than Rebecca. Is. <laughs> I've never, to my knowledge, at least been banned by anybody. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think usually when they do blacklist somebody, you know, to Rebecca's previous point, there's usually something else behind it. It's not yeah, because you, you have posted been, one negative review. You've been asking for some, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not that I had never, I, this was, I was not asking for <laughs> it. I assure you. Well, no, I, I mean, generally. I was really I say, caught off guard. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that, that and is was, still a strange, strange situation with you in that particular company. I, I don't know what's going on. Yes. It, it is being resolved though. I will say. Okay. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Finally. There, there are. It's weird because there are little fiefdoms, and those people move around, and so they'll be at one company. They'll build their fiefdom, and they'll have their favorite journalists, and their, their sort of their their blacklist, and they'll move to another company, and that situation follows them. So it's and it's it's weird as a as a journalist. It's like okay, well, if you don't want to sell any of the cars, don't send them to me to drive. That's fine. Whatever. You're like you don't like what I have to say. All right, but it's never really been my experience that um, they're watching that closely. Uh, you send them clips and links so that they know that their their media loan has been effective because they have to report on that. And so uh, to a certain degree, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Like you gave me the thing. I made the content. Here's the content so you can justify why you gave me the thing so you can give me more things. And yeah, this was not actually – it was not actually a car review. Uh, so that's it, even weirder. It, it, was a, um, it was a commentary on um, – the. it was it – was, basically talking about their standing and, and their, and their, in the marketplace. And then, so as I said, I had, so had, the, I had a number of conversations with them afterwards and they were, uh, they just basically shut me down. That's, that's like, such a PR mistake. Like that's, that is your opportunity. That's your opening to go on a charm offensive and to just shut somebody out like that is, is really, it comes off as. But they, um, I think their, their perspective was they didn't need me. I needed them. Uh, which okay, is which fine. is i mean like, and to blake's point like that's that is very true there are you know the first thing that they look at are the numbers you know and so i don't i, I don't know i i mean i, I will I just you know i i don't know all right well <laughs> let's, just, let's, let's i've never gotten i've never gotten called out like that where like oh you wrote a negative review and you you know like we didn't appreciate it like often it's it's like hey you wrote this thing um I'd, I'd love to talk with you about it a little more. And then you get an interview out of it. You get more, con more, yeah. more content. So yeah. like, that right. usually works. So, <laughs> so to, to the question of the, the Volvo powertrains and using electric turbos, um, I wouldn't rule out uh, seeing Volvo adopt electric turbos in the future. Um, you know, there are, there are some challenges with them. You know, obviously it does require adoption of a 48 volt uh electrical system and Volvo is actually doing that. They're removing to make that standard, you know, um, there are new products coming out. That will be the baseline is 48 volt uh, mild hybrid systems and then, you know, strong hybrids on top of that. So, um, you know, we may well see them do that, you know, at the time that their current generation of stuff was developed, <clears throat> those electric turbos were not ready in the marketplace yet. There are some that are out there now. Audi uses them. Uh, Mercedes-Benz uses them on some of their engines. Uh, Mercedes on their new three-liter inline-six has, has an, an e-booster on there. And there are other manufacturers going this direction. So I wouldn't rule out uh, them, them using 48-volt uh, turbos going forward. Yeah, or I think that the difference to me would be, is it lighter? Is it um, less complex? 
and uh, does it does it fit the rest of their their powertrain? And I think that the answers to all of that is probably yes. Um, you, you know, even the 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 motors you're going to have in there to to spin them up are going to be lighter than some of the extra plumbing, right? You're trading one thing for another, and that's that's all the engineering is a compromise. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, definitely the fact that you can spin them up so quickly. Uh, versus uh, waiting for the the pressure drop to do it with the, the like actual physics um, probably helps out, uh, and it's basically like um, what was the superchargers that uh, they used? Oh, they were really popular in the eighties and nineties. Um, Prochargers. They were basically like a the turbine side of a uh, a turbocharger with a gearbox on the front. Yeah, it was, and, uh, I forget who made those. Um, it was basically uh, like a centrifugal supercharger. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's. I think it's just probably possible. Um, I don't know that Volvo is really uh, looking to develop another engine. So I think that drive E powertrain, they're going to just keep um, tweaking it until they absolutely have to do another engine if they have to. But Yeah. Like I said, I don't think they'll do an all new engine, but I, I could see them updating the existing one, you know, and dropping the supercharger and, and going, dropping the mechanical supercharger and going with an E to E turbo. Uh, yeah. instead and i'll um i'll add a i'll put a link in the show notes to an article i did when i interviewed uh garrett last year um on um their e-turbos uh and it's got some some good information in there about that as well all right all right next uh next question what do we got what do we want to cover uh let's see uh compact cars in china uh hey there love to continue to love the show and look forward to new episodes um and uh, this is from Yakov uh, Nimoy. Um, the, the longer, the better. <laughs> uh, though there's been a while since uh, I've sent, sent you folks an unsolicited piece of my mind, though I'd fill in a few gaps on the Chinese market for you and why, they are, why there are long wheelbase versions of compact sedans that uh, Americans don't buy anymore. Key to the market is that cars cost effectively twice as much in absolute cost compared to the U.S. Uh, China may have a larger market for cars overall, but owning a compact sports sedan like a BMW 3 Series or even a 3 Audi A3 is already considered a minor status symbol. For someone who has made it in a minor way, this could very well be the family car. That driver may not be able to afford a chauffeur all the time, but certainly hires one now and then. Even when they are doing the driving, you often have full-size adults such as your parents in the back. All those things factor in before even considering the cost of fuel and the, the size of some of the older streets you may find yourself driving down. When I drove my brother-in-law's 535 IL down the wrong alley a couple of years ago, I discovered that it just barely fit with about two inches of clearance on either side and had to creep along at about a mile an hour waiting for pedestrians to slowly walk down the street too. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, ultimately, oh, you may goodness. see just as many premium and luxury cars on the road in China as you do here in the U.S., especially compared to the San Francisco Bay Area where we live. But there is far more tiering of cars as status symbols compared to anywhere else in the world. The implicit expectation there, culturally, for anyone in the middle class who is interested in getting married is to have a car and a house, so the details matter a lot. P.S. I love the special edition uh, Rebecca has become to the show. It feels like the three of you really have gelled together as good complimentary hosts. Love uh, the 
uh, especially love the perspective she brings to all sorts of vehicles that get me to rethink my American male-centric point of view of cars. The show has some amazing give-and-take dynamics that make you feel like one could just jump into the conversation, and I don't think you folks need to worry at all about that anyone talks over her. You can really sense the deep respect that you all have for each other, and we do have enormous respect for uh, for Rebecca. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Nimoy. I mean, That's so have... sweet of you, and believe me, nobody talks over me because I'm mean. <laughs> small we, and we, mean. We, we... We needed to have somebody who knows what they're talking about on the show. So. <laughs> okay. No, that's so very, very sweet. Thank you. That means a lot more than you know. Thank you. Let's, let's get one more before we wrap it up here uh, from Peter Fagel. Um, Hello, uh, years and years ago, your, your answer to most questions was Honda Fit, and then years and years ago, or so years and years and years ago, it was Honda Fit. Years and years ago, it was Miata. Years ago, it was GTI. Now it's Telluride Palisade. What will it be tomorrow? <laughs> Greetings from my wife who enjoys your, uh, your envy about her VW T5. Uh, for those who don't know, the T5, I believe, is the, uh, the, the latest edition of the, the transporter, the, the van, the microbus. Uh, for Peter from Bavaria, Germany. So what will it be tomorrow after Telluride and Palisade? Lucid mm. air. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I, it's funny because it really, the next question I ask is like, what are you doing with it? You know, and, and we recommend those cars a lot because they're, there's, you know, pretty versatile. And I guess a lot of the people I'm talking to are, you know, they have a similar, similar set of needs than I do. Um, you know, where we've got to move the family and the dogs and the stuff and all, all around. Um, so it, there's ringers in every segment and there's not really that many cars anymore on the market, you know, or vehicles overall. Like there's, there's a lot less choice than there used to be. So I don't know. Um, the next answer, I, Corvette, $60,000. <laughs> I mean, come on. Look at that thing. Can't go wrong and, with that. That's true. No, it, looks I, like, I, it looks like a McLaren and it goes like stink. I mean, <laughs> come on. Well, what's, I think to his point, what's, you know, when we think back, I, I never know when the Honda Fit was an appropriate answer, but that's a different thing. But so <laughs> it was always an appropriate answer if what you were looking for was a reasonably affordable small car that was fun to drive. Okay, so it had GTI, tons and tons of room. It was GTI bigger on the is inside. A better answer, but so yeah. I think but it's also think, more expensive. Yes, of course it is. But I, th I think that to his point. It's this idea of where is mobility going, right? Where are we moving as a culture? And and I've said it before, and I feel like I've said that numerous times on this show today, uh, but, you know, people migrate towards convenience. They migrate towards uh, a, a better solution than what they have today. And one of the one of the interesting and fascinating parts of the market right now is that we do have a very diverse marketplace, unlike we've had for a long time. So you do have people that look at things like Uber and Lyft as a more convenient, viable solution to owning a vehicle. And, and that's a harder discussion to have with people that are in their 60s and 70s and don't live in an urban environment. But what's fascinating now is because of the pandemic, is that still the case for people? Or has a core value of safety and security and feeling like you're not going to get a disease from the last person that sat in that seat 
does that overcome does that does that trump the the convenience part of it so now is suddenly buying something like the honda fit or a smaller vehicle for your urban mobility needs a better solution we don't know that yet because we're still in the midst of everything so i think it's it's a great great question i think it's really fascinating to look at yeah it's a uh, big fortresses so the tahoe yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i think you know in general, you know, there, aside from the Miata, there is no silver bullet that, you know, answers every question, <laughs> but, uh, Miata with the trailer. you know, I, I think, you know, more having, having diversity in the marketplace, I think is great. Uh, you know, I think that, I guess I would say the, the one thing that is likely to be part of that answer tomorrow is electrification, you know, to, to some degree, whether that's, you know, hybrid plug-in hybrid or battery electric, um, that will, almost certainly be part of the equation for whatever, whatever we end up choosing. And, you know, near term, you know, it'll probably be something like electric crossovers, you know, so something like a CRV, RAV4, Escape, you know, but that's electric, you know, and, you know, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see um, the new VW ID4, uh, which is going to go into production uh, here next year uh, and it'll be available here in the U.S. next year. Uh, their first MEB platform vehicle here. Um, you know, Audi's got the Q4 e-tron, which is on that same platform. Uh, we're going to be, you know, we're going to see stuff from Hyundai and Kia and, and many other manufacturers that is electric um, that, you know, those vehicles are going to get more affordable, um, you know, going, you know, as we keep going forward. Uh, and, so I think that's that's the the one thing I can say almost with certainty is that electrification will be part of whatever the answer is. Yes, and not only affordable but more convenient. Yes, a better absolutely. replacement, a better replacement for your internal combustion so, engine. So, something something that requires fewer lifestyle compromises uh, to use it uh, as a day to day. Yeah, perceived or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I mean, you know, keep listening and then tell us in a couple of years whether we were accurate. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, on that note, it's it's two hours of show. So if you, the longer the better. Um, there we you go. Build that. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think we're we're good to wrap up. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Just keep the emails and comments rolling in, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. Yes. Thank all you, right. everyone. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.